0: Hello and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast. This is Patrick, with me as always Julius, going right into NFL Week 6 action with Thursday night, we had the Denver Broncos at the Kansas City Chiefs, and in a Very low-scoring game, and just primetime has been terrible this year, Julius. There hasn't been many good primetime games. There have been a few, but mainly it's been bad. And Thursday night has been especially bad, just like it was for the last four or five years. I mean, you do get one or two games normally on Thursday night, but most Thursday nights, uh, they're just not there. And I know the NFL does it for money purposes, but I'd be happy just going back to Sunday-Monday. Um, personally, but this is what we got, and you get a quarterback that doesn't even throw for 100 yards in a game, uh, and that's Russell Wilson. Uh, for anyone who watched the game, you understand how much of a struggle offensively this was for the Broncos um, and the Chiefs. Honestly, if you watch the game, uh, not a lot of scoring in this one. Again, eight to nineteen. The Broncos got their touchdown in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Ross had. Two picks in this game, 13 for 22, 95 yards. Uh, He was sacked four times, had more hurries. Mahomes threw it 40 times, Julius, uh, and barely broke 300 yards. Again, this is a different Chiefs offense than we're used to seeing. Uh, He scrambled for 31 yards. We talked about this. Mahomes is running more this year, uh, a lot more shorter routes. Again, out of the 306 yards, 124 of those went to Kelsey, which we expect. Um... But again, a lot of checkdown routes, a lot of slow routes, uh, like a uh, little slant routes. I mean, uh, you had 56 yards from McKinnon and Pacheco. Again, a lot of running back. Uh, the nine of the receptions went to Pacheco or McKinnon. Um, even uh, edwards hilaire called a pass. So again, you know, ten of your ten of your 30 completions are going to running backs. Uh, just not the same type of offense you're used to seeing from the Chiefs. Uh, again, a lot of that has to do with personnel. you got to kind of go with the hand that you were dealt with. Um, and As Julius has talked about multiple times and we've talked about on this podcast, no matter how great you are at your position in any sport, uh, especially football, Patrick Mahomes is an all-time great. I think we all agree with that. We all agree he's the best quarterback in the league. You can't make Kadarius Toney have better hands. Even if you throw the ball right into his face and his hands – You've seen him give you a pick six. You've seen him give you interceptions. Um, and so, same with Sky Moore. Yeah, I know he was a high draft pick for the Chiefs. He just he, His second year just doesn't really look he's panning out. Uh, they've stopped pretty much using MVS for some reason. Uh, same with Justin Watson. They're two guys that normally are their deep play threats. Uh, only got one reception apiece in this game. I know Watson, after one of the ones that he dra- he should have had a long completion, he just dropped it. Um, went out injured. Um, Again, so you had 10 receptions from your running backs, 11 from your tight ends. Your one tight end is Travis Kelsey. He had nine. That makes sense. Uh, But, again, just receivers not getting a lot of receptions. Um, But, again, Rasheed Rice, as I talked about in our uh, draft podcast, I was really high on him, Julius, and he is starting to become their number one receiver and the wide receiver. Obviously, we all know Kelsey is their number one guy, but out of wide receivers – Uh, He's starting to emerge as a guy that I thought he would coming out of the SMU, so excited to see that. Um, The Chiefs defense, once again, just all over the place. Uh, Our guy Trent McDuffie uh, just, you know, I said I thought he'd be an All-Pro this year, and he is playing up to that level, Julius. Um, You know, Chris Jones got a sack in this game. Uh, You know, George has had a half sack in this game. They were getting a lot of pressure. Uh, on on Russ in this game, <clears throat> um, but yeah, you know it was just it it was just an ugly ugly game. And I do want to give a shout out to Harrison Bucker though because he banged down a sixty yard field goal. And um, you've seen you've seen a lot of kickers, like even we'll talk about it later on, missing easy field goals or easy. I almost say easy because we've all seen regular people try to kick field goals. Julius, it's not as easy as it looks as these guys make it look on Sundays. But uh, we're also not getting paid millions of dollars to make these field goals. So uh, exactly. Bucker went four for four and, like I said, banged down that 60-yarder. Um, somehow that cost me my fantasy week in the one league I was playing because Bucker got like 20 points. Insane. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, again, Kansas City's offense is not looking great. Their defense is looking amazing this year, though, and, and they've needed yes. and they've needed it. Uh, but I guess this goes back to the Broncos for me. Uh, Sean Payton, again, people were talking about a Hall of Fame coach. I I don't see it. I just, I'm just not seeing it. Everyone wanted to throw the blame on Nathaniel Hackett last year, and, and rightfully so, right? If you're the head coach and you're making these bad coaching decisions, and feels like you're costing them the game, and you were an office coordinator, and you were supposed to bring a better offense, and I do agree with you. You and I were kind of joking around last week, and and I was saying, does does it really look better? Um, And statistically, it did look better. Their defense has been what has been worse this year statistically. Um, But eight points, 95 passing yards um, in today's NFL – it has to be coaching and scheme. I don't, I don't, I, we've seen bum quarterbacks go for over 100 yards. We've seen guys that shouldn't be in the league throw six interceptions in a game and still throw for 100 yards. So, um, this was just pitiful. And if it wasn't for that last drive where, you know, he got some garbage time yards and they got the touchdown to Sutton, which was a heck of a catch, the, the Sutton touchdown was, was amazing. Um, 95 yards in an entire football game is unheard of in 2023. Uh, This was just awful at all levels. Um, I know they're not going to fire Sean Payton because of what they traded and what they paid him to get. Uh, Again, same thing to get Russell Wilson, but I believe that the quarterback is going to be the scapegoat since Hackett was the scapegoat last year. I think Russ is going to be the scapegoat this time, even if, Sean Payton is more to blame, because the offense and the scheme has looked terrible for most of the year, in my opinion. I'm uh, not saying that it hasn't been a little bit better than last year, but la- this Thursday night was one of the worst offensive games I've ever watched, and it was hard to watch. And Jerry Judy, if you're going to get into it with Steve Smith and do whatever you guys are doing, I know it's been talked about a lot in the National media. I'm not going to talk about a lot, you got to do better than three catches for 14 yards, so... Uh, since one of your catches also went for 13 yards, which means you had two catches for one yard. So um, just not a good look all around for the Broncos offense, Julius. And this game was, again, just a rough
0: watch in primetime. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with most of what you're saying. I, I look at this and, you know, it's easy to say bad Denver offense because that's mostly what we've seen for the last going on year and a half now or Longer than that, really, but it's been, you know, spotlighted since Wilson got there. But I I focus on the Chiefs defense and how it continues to be the stronger unit on this team. Um, I thought about you, of course, on the first possession of the game. uh, Of course, the Broncos went for fourth and three and uh, did not convert. Matter of fact, Russell Wilson ended up being sacked by Justin Reed on the play. Uh, Of course, that's a safety out, out of the gate. Most important decision in football, playmaking safety, uh, setting the tone early. And again, is, is that bad Russell Wilson or is that just a good defense? I'm, I'm looking at the defense. Um, you know, as far as that decision to go for it, we saw more egregious decisions to go for it in other games. But this one, you know, they were talking all game long about the wind and weather and how that might affect decisions. So I felt like, you know, we'll let's. Decent kicker, but not great from that distance. And with the weather, I I understood in that case why they uh, went for it. It just didn't turn out well. Uh, Second possession didn't go any better for the Broncos. That ended up in a Russell Wilson interception of Nick Bolton. And Nick Bolton, in the middle of that defense at the linebacker position, he missed the last three games. We're talking about the Chiefs playing much improved defensively. That's been largely without him this year. Now you get Nick Bolton back with the way the rest of this defense is playing right now. This Kansas City defense, I'm telling you, it's, it's looking really good. I know Denver's not exactly the ultimate test, but this Kansas City defense looks 10 times as good as they did last year to me. Uh, the Chiefs followed that interception up with uh, Mahomes throwing an interception of his own. Not quite sure what he was thinking about, but he had defenders around his feet, and he just kind of lobbed the ball up to the goal line. And uh, Justin Simmons came down with it. Again, another safety. Most important, is in football, playmaking safety. Justin Simmons taking points off the board to help the Broncos stay in the game early. Uh, credit to Jonathan Cooper as well who came in and got pressure on Mahomes. Actually looked like he might have got a piece of ball as it came out of Mahomes' hand. Uh, Justin Simmons, that was his fourth uh, career interception against Mahomes. Uh, that's more than any other player in the league. Not surprising that a safety has that distinction. Uh, again, if you have a playmaker of that position, you're at least going to be competitive more often than not. Uh, this game was Ugly both ways. It was 3 nothing halfway through the uh, second quarter. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Chiefs try to fake field goal quarterback sneak, but a quarterback sneak with your backup tight end playing quarterback and with Mahomes off the field. I just don't understand. If you're going to go for it, maybe put the ball in the hands of the best player in the league. I, that's just my suggestion, but uh, some people might think that's crazy. I don't know. Uh, you talked about Harrison Butker and some of the kicks he's made. Uh, he ended the first half with that 60-yard kick you referenced. Uh, That gave the Chiefs a 13-0 lead going into the half. So even with Kansas City not playing their best brand of ball, even with them blowing multiple opportunities in the red zone, they still had a fairly comfortable lead going into the half. Uh, Travis Kelsey in the first half, seven targets, seven catches, 109 yards. Again, in the first half. The rest of the team had 53 receiving yards. Thanks, guys. Again, that's just for the first half. But uh, a lot of these plays in the first half, I noticed Broncos players were just running away from Travis Kelsey. I mean, literally, he would settle down in the middle of the field. Defenders would pass him off to nobody. Or they they would see him leak in the middle of the field and start moving to someone else. Travis Kelsey is the threat in the passing game. So I just don't understand how you're not keyed in on him. But again, we're talking about a Broncos defense that has been awful this year. That's what awful defenses do. Leave your best player open. It looked like in the second half, maybe Denver started to get into a little bit of a rhythm, but Russell Wilson gets a pass deflected. That's something that's happened at the line of scrimmage more often than it usually does for him. And Justin Reed, again, another play being made by a safety in this game, comes down with that interception. So it just seemed like at every turn, the Broncos were being stopped or stopping themselves until you got to a little over six minutes left in the game. That's when Cortland Sutton had that catch, that Patrick reference in the end zone. And all of a sudden, you're talking a 16-8 to game with, with six minutes left. Like, Denver was still in this game with six minutes left, as bad as they were in this game. Again, partially because of the mistakes Kansas City made uh, in scoring range in the first half. Uh, that scoring drive that Denver had, there was a roughing the passer called against Mike Edwards. Is a weak call, but it was called. But again, re- remind me of how the Chiefs get all the calls by the way in this game Kansas City seven penalties Denver three so again <laughs> remind me how the Chiefs get all the calls let's get back to reality people uh Butker didn't just make a 60 yard field goal in the first half he made a 52 yard field goal to put the Chiefs back up two scores that was after Mahomes took a sack for an 11 yard loss so uh Butker really was a difference maker in this game uh, you talk about Trent McDuffie. He forced a fumble late in this game off of Samadji Piran. And I'm sorry, if you have Javante Williams and he's healthy and you have Jaleel McLaughlin, why is Samaj P. Piran the guy that's in the game in that situation? I don't get it. Uh, that's why I will blame Sean Payton because that's just dumb to me. But uh, McDuffie makes the play there. Helps close the game out. Chiefs win as expected. Uh, a couple of Chiefs notes. Chris Jones. Eighth straight game with the sack. That's the longest active streak in the league. And you think about for a defensive tackle. Now, Jones can bump outside, and he did that often in this game. But for a guy who plays a lot of defensive tackle to have have, uh, more consecutive games with a sack than anybody in the league, that's a big deal. Uh, It just shows how dominant he is and why you needed to pay him at the beginning of the season. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 12-0 against Denver in his career. They're making it easier and easier for him. And uh, since Patrick is talking about Jerry Judy and his lack of production, just a quick note on him, Russell Wilson has thrown 12 touchdowns this year, none to Judy. So there's been opportunities for somebody to score the Broncos offense, just not him. So like you said, Patrick, maybe Judy needs to just uh, leave Steve Smith alone or anything, try to learn from him because it ain't looking too good right now. Getting into another London game. And I I am London out, so I'm glad that this is the last one. I'm not really looking forward to the Germany games, but at least we get a little bit of a break from these 9.30 starts. I don't like it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, the Baltimore Ravens come through with a 24-16 win over the Tennessee Titans. Uh, This game started off as a field goal fest, uh, back-and-forth kicks. If if you like Justin Tucker and Nick Folk, if those are two of your favorite players in the league, you were satisfied with what you saw in this game. Uh, Baltimore even had to settle for a field goal on a possession that started in the red zone thanks to a 70-yard Devin Duvernay punt return. It was Ryan Stonehouse, the punter for the Titans, who actually saved uh, that return from going for a touchdown and ultimately saved four points, so give credit to Stonehouse, but the rest of us. Uh, Special teams coverage didn't come through there. You know, I've talked about this with the Ravens. You saw it on that drive that I just referenced. You saw it throughout the game. There's just too many designed runs for Lamar Jackson in the red zone. They're not working. You have running backs if you feel the need to run the ball that bad. I I don't understand why you won't call something else. You have two tight ends, Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, who have major size advantages. Isaiah Likely is just a huge wide receiver who we call the tight end. I still don't understand why you're not throwing them jump balls. You're throwing jump balls to a washed 5'10 receiver, but you won't do it for your tight ends. I just don't understand this offense. And so, again, both offenses struggled at the beginning of the game. We didn't see a touchdown in this game until about three and a half minutes left in the first half. Uh, that was Zay Flowers. Congratulations to him. His first career touchdown. A lot of firsts around the league. I'll get through those as we go through these games, but a lot of firsts happening in the league. Uh, this weekend. So first career touchdown for Zay Flowers. For some reason, he was matched up against Harold Landry III. I don't understand somebody's schemes and how some of these matchups happen. I don't understand how you have an edge rusher on the most productive wide receiver of the other team. That makes zero sense to me. But, hey, again, it makes sense to somebody. Uh, but even when you score a touchdown, the extra point ultimately gets blocked after you had an offensive pass interference on a two-point conversion attempt that pushed you back. So... It's still two steps forward, one step back for this offense. But, uh, again, they took the lead there. And at the end of the first half, I'm I'm blowing the whistle. Not on Kyle Phillips, even though he's the one that made the mistake. I'm blowing the whistle on the coaches. Because why is Kyle Phillips back there? If there's a punt at the very end of the half, nothing good can happen. Okay, the best thing that can happen is he can cleanly fair catch the punt. And you take a knee and go to half. The worst thing that can happen is what happened. Kyle Phillips muffs the punt inside his own 10. Baltimore recovers with one second left in the half. And you literally just gave him three points. Why is he back there? What is the upside of him being back there? He's not going to run a 95-yard punt return touchdown on the last play to half. Get him out of there. Send all 11 guys to go block the kick. If they don't get it, you just let the clock run out when the ball hits the ground. I'm incense, y'all. Uh, Derrick Henry was shut down in the first half, only 13 rushing yards in the first half, but he came through with a 64-yard run to get himself going in the third quarter. That came out of the Wildcat formation. I'm amazed at how easily these Wildcat plays work when you go. Know there's not a pass coming. It just, it just amazes me that this continues to work. It worked in other games. It worked to get Derrick Henry going in this game and worked to help get the Titans somewhat back in the game. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunning came over the interception on the sidelines. It was a weird-looking play. Uh, Lamar Jackson looking for Rashad Bateman. Bateman didn't really move <laughs> to go get the ball. The ball was thrown a little bit off, and the ball just ends up in Murphy Bunning's hands. So it just you see things like that. You see this lack of continuity in the Ravens offense, and it's just not getting better week to week. Uh, Tennessee was able to take advantage of that turnover and get a Derrick Henry touchdown and again get themselves back in the game. Uh, Prior to Henry scoring, Kyle Hamilton was ejected for a helmet-to-helmet hit. I completely disagreed with the ejection. I agreed with the call, because even if you do something on accident, if you grab somebody's face mask on accident, it's a penalty. If you hit a quarterback head on accident when you're trying to knock down a pass, it's a penalty. So I get that it's a penalty on Hamilton. The ejection was stupid. The ejection was a direct result, and I'll talk about different examples in other games, but the ejection was a direct result of the fact that Chris Moore, the player who got hit, got up stumbling, was reaching for the air when he was on the ground. It looked bad, and so Kyle Hamilton got ejected for optics. And that's ridiculous. I, I just hate when the league does that kind of stuff and doesn't really address other real issues. But, you know, anything that looks bad, you want to eject somebody for. Terrible. All right, getting back to the game, again, Baltimore lost the momentum after that ejection and that touchdown. Gino Stone. Again, most important position in football, playmaking safety. Stone comes up with the interception to seize the momentum back for the Ravens. That interception took place after Ryan Tannehill got rolled up on by Justin Matabike on an ugly-looking hit. That's not a penalty. And ultimately, Tannehill had to leave the game, and he left the field on crutches. So uh, we'll see. When's the next time we'll see him? Malik Willis had to come in for relief duty, and (laughs) Malik Willis attempted five passes and was sacked four times. So you can understand how that went for him. Uh, some notes from this game. First for Tennessee, just a quick shout-out to Aziz here. 30 tackles for him in the last two games. He was all over the field in this game. He's been very active the last couple of weeks, so number two is a guy to keep an eye on in that defense. Uh, for Baltimore, Justin Tucker is six 6-for-6 six on his field goals in this game. And I tell you what, when, he was, when it was fourth down, uh, I think, I think John Harbaugh is having some PTSD on fourth downs because he called these field goals with no hesitation. I mean, normally there's some thought, maybe we should go for it. A lot of these were fourth and short situations, and it was immediately field goal, field goals. So I, I don't know when the next time we'll see Baltimore go for a fourth down is, and I'm sure that, that'll please you, Patrick. Uh, the Ravens' pass rush came through in this game, and the Ravens, this the pass rush was a concern for me for the Ravens. They're actually tied for the lead league in pass rushes and uh, sacks as a team. Uh, Jadeveon Clowney had two sacks in this game. He had two sacks last year. So, so you're seeing unlikely sources for sacks. Uh, the Ravens are manufacturing things. They've got Kyle Hamilton rushing a the passer. They've got Patrick Queen rushing a the passer. Uh, they're moving him around in the formation. So he's not a pure edge, but they're letting him do it sometimes. So they're getting different guys. Justin Matabike, who I mentioned before from the no tackle position, leads the team in sacks. So you're getting it not from your edge guys. That's, that's who I was worried about. You're not getting it from Odafe Oway. You're not getting it from David Ojabo. Those guys have been hurt. But uh, you're getting it from unlikely sources. Uh, bad news for the Ravens. A couple things. Lamar Jackson once again was the Ravens' leading rusher. I'm tired of seeing that. I say this every week. I'm tired Damn. of seeing that. Get Gus Edwards involved. Justice Hill. Keaton Mitchell. You activated him. Get somebody else going. Another issue for the Ravens. Over the last three games, they've scored a total of 13 points in the second half. That's good enough to beat Dorian Thompson-Robinson. That's good enough to beat the combination of Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. It's almost good enough to beat Kenny Pickett with the way he's playing. When you play better teams and better offenses, you can't play this conservative, scared second-half football that i am seeing out of them. It's not going to work I'm going against a team like Detroit next week. So, that's just something to keep in mind for the Ravens moving forward.
1: First and foremost, I want to start this off by applauding Harbaugh for kicking field goals. I am all about it. We're not blowing the whistle on Harbaugh this week. We are applauding the whistle. No, that doesn't make sense. But we are applauding Harbaugh for kicking field goals. And in a shocking turn of events, Justin Tucker missed the extra point. Six for six on field goals and missed the extra point. Um, Julius touched on almost everything. I'm not going to get too much into this game anymore. Um... My biggest concerns—I'll talk about that for both teams. Uh, we'll start with the Ravens since they won. The Ravens should be six and zero on the season. Let's just call it what it is. They—they've bl- blown two games. Uh, poor coaching is to blame, in my opinion, for both of them. Yes, can you blame the refs on some of them? Um, sure, but it should have never gone to overtime in the Indianapolis game and uh, the Steelers game. We talked about that. It was—that was just an awful, awful coaching um, for the Ravens. Yeah, I'm tired of Lamar leading the team in rushing. Uh, If he does it in the flow of the game or like on scrambles, I'm more okay with it. I'm not okay with it when they're calling, you know, RPOs and and you know, just designed quarterback runs for Lamar. Uh, You and I both were, were thought the offense would look a lot better this year, and it looks almost exactly the same as last year. Their defense has been the biggest surprise for me. And I know everyone thinks the Ravens' defense is always a great defense. Uh, They've just lost a lot of guys, and I just thought the defense would struggle a lot more. Again, they haven't really played any great offensive teams yet this year, but their defense has played exceptionally well for where I thought they would be um, coming into the season. So, concerned about the Ravens' rushing game, and I know losing J.K. Dobbins and some linemen suck, but... Uh, You can't have Lamar (coughs) always scrambling on designed runs. I I said the same thing about Anthony Richardson, and the news is that he might be done for the season. Uh, This is what happens. The Ravens do this at the beginning of every year, and then about nine to ten games in, Lamar has gotten hurt the last two seasons. And I don't know if it's the wear and tear from the runs. Again, I know he's been hurt in the pocket the last two seasons, but you have to think maybe it's from some of these designed runs and unnecessary hits. Um, <clears throat> that take their toll over the course of a seventeen game season. Now, um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with the Ravens' offense, man. That it just, it's looked bad. Um, for all the Ravens fans, though, I'm just going to give this little, you know, announcement. You, you got to stop blaming Lamar for everything. You, you went, even in your wins, you're blaming Lamar for them not scoring touchdowns in the red zone and them not doing this and doing that, doing that. I'm not saying Lamar is a perfect quarterback. There is no such thing as a perfect quarterback. You even see guys like Patrick Mahomes, as Julius alluded to, throw a bad interception. Um, And and he's thrown a lot more interceptions this year than we're used to because of the talent around him. But without Lamar, y'all have seen what your team is. I'm just so confused by this narrative of we shouldn't have played Lamar. Lamar doesn't do anything for our team. He costs us games, doesn't win us games. It's It's just one of the dumbest narratives out there. And... If you actually watch the games, I'm not even a Ravens fan, but if you watch the games and you watch the Baltimore Ravens, I feel like any basic understanding of the NFL football game, you would understand Lamar is your team. He is your offense. He's the reason you win the games. Can you blame him for some losses? Sure. You can blame every quarterback for losses in the NFL. But 90% of the time, he's the reason you're winning the football game. Um... Again, for me, coaching has cost you all your two losses this season, not Lamar Jackson. Can you... Can you? Did he throw the interception trying to throw it to Odell Beckham Jr.? Yes. Did... If you want to point to one play to lose you a game, sure, you can do that. But you play 60 minutes of football, it shouldn't even have been close to the score that it was for that play to happen. So... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just that narrative needs to stop. I don't, I don't know where you're, you guys are guys acting like you have Ryan Tannehill. So it's just it's it's absurd to me the the narrative surrounding the Ravens. Uh, moving over to the Titans, their best play of the game for them was uh, Ryan Stonehouse running a four point one forty to catch Duvernay. Um, how a punter takes a better angle than some of these defensive backs and linebackers and safeties, Julius, is beyond me. But this guy they need to put this guy in a safety I just need to see I need to see Ryan Stonehouse back there um, laying laying the wood on some of these guys that that was one of the most impressive angle tackles I've seen from a punter in a long time um, that was a really really good play and as you said they they held it to a field goal on that after that so you know that was that was actually a pretty big play in the game. Um, You talked about Tannehill getting hurt and Malik Willis coming in. Uh, He went 4 for 5 in his attempts for 74 yards. Ryan Tannehill was 8 for 16 for 76 yards. Um, Again, they were sacked 6 times combined. Malik Willis got sacked 4 times. And he had a 14.8 average. I mean, everyone complains about Malik Willis and he's not a good quarterback in the NFL, blah 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 from last year. Give this dude a chance. Let him run the offense. Don't if anyone watched the games last year, you and I talked about it on the podcast, why are they handcuffing him? Why are they making him play with one hand behind his back, essentially? They were making him just hand the ball off 30 times to Derrick Henry, and if it's third and 10, oh, God, try and throw it for a first down. Like I hope if he does have to start and Tannehill can't go, I hope they just give him the full playbook instead of bringing Josh Dobbs in to play Week 17. Like They just did him so dirty last year. And I hope he gets a fair shot. And if they're not going to give him a fair shot, I hope he makes it to a new team. Because um, we really don't know what we can get from Malik Willis yet. Um, I don't know if they're going to bring Will Levison or even attempt to have him play games. But I really hope Malik Willis gets a fair shot. It doesn't seem like Vrabel really likes him. um, And I think that's an issue for me. But uh, I hope he gets a fair shot at at starting, Julius. And not this handcuffed uh, starts they were doing last year. Um, everyone keeps saying the the Ravens should have got DeAndre Hopkins over Odell Beckham Jr., which I, that argument doesn't mean much to me. They're both washed receivers that in their primes, they were great. Um, Hopkins had one catch for 20 yards. Odell had two for 34. So Odell Beckham Jr. won the... Who should the Ravens have got in this game? Um, but it just, again, it... You know, it's, it's like the Eagles in Julio Jones. I'm not... No one. I'm not jumping up and down for these, for these moves that these guys are making for old, washed, great receivers. You know, Again, I'm not saying DeAndre Hopkins is a bum. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that do I think they're changing the trajectory of your season if you got one or the other? No, I do not. Um, but, yeah, the London games, I'm with you, Julius. I'm over them. Uh, I'm over a lot of the ways that uh, the NFL schedules football games uh, we've talked about that, and, I, and again, as I open up the, the podcast with, I would, I would be more of a fan of going back to just a Sunday with one Monday night football game. <clears throat> Moving over to two teams that uh, are five hundred now, uh, the Commanders and the Falcons. And this game, Julius, was the first loss for the Falcons at home in a game where the Falcons' defense didn't even give up 200 yards. Uh, of offense uh, they lose and I've, I've seen a lot of praise for Sam Howe and, and and yes he did throw three touchdowns in this game I'm not not trying to discredit what he did at the quarterback position but I just want to make it clear the three interceptions by Desmond Ritter and the field position that the commanders got are the reason they won this game it, it has nothing to do Again, yeah, Sam Howell did what he needed to do and got the touchdowns. We saw teams this entire season and week not get touchdowns when they're in the red zone, and they did that. But um, where they started and where they got the ball in this game uh, really played a factor in, in who won this game. Uh, again, Washington punted six times in this game. Atlanta only punted three. Uh, Again, they threw three interceptions, though. And, and when you lose a turnover battle like that, 0-3, um, to three, it's going to be hard to win games. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that Drake London got 12 targets in this game. And what did he do? Just make contested catch after contested catch. Like we've talked about, give your playmakers a chance. My man had nine catches for 125 yards. Uh, Kyle Pitts got targeted six times, called a touchdown in this game. Um, Jonu Smith called another touchdown. Um you know, it was, the running game for, for Atlanta is normally their staple. It was a little tough for them. Uh Bijan, 13 carries for 37 yards, but he again, five catches, 43 yards. Um I just I want to see this Atlanta team, Julius, without Ritter as their quarterback. And again, I'm not trying to I'm not saying his career's over. I'm not saying uh you know to 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 he's done, but just watching the the first six games from the Falcons, I feel like if they had a more competent quarterback quarterback play out of the, that position, this team could be six and zero. And that's how close their games have been. Um, and 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 that's just how bad the offense has looked when the running game is not going full steam ahead. So, again, on a day where the defense uh, played well and they got five sacks, which you know the, we know the Commanders give up a lot of sacks. Um, just a really bad loss for Atlanta, and again, that that their offense hasn't even scored a 100 points, and they've played six games, so that's 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 tough to win games when when you're not scoring points, and it's really sad when within your division, the Panthers have the most points scored out of any team, and they're 0 six, so um again, just not a good good day for Atlanta, uh, again, for the commanders. Uh, the defense stepped up in this game. The offense did what it needed to do to, to win the game and, squ- and get touchdowns. Uh, <clears throat> I've said it once, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, Terry got 11 targets in this game. and happy about that. I just don't know what Jahan Dotson did to Eric bien or Sam Howe for him to get no looks this season. Uh, to go from leading the team in touchdowns only playing like six games last season to getting one target, and I know he dropped the pass, um one target all game It just i just don't comprehend how you use a first round pick on somebody and they had a good rookie year when they were healthy to just not using him anymore he should not be getting the same amount of targets as brown or antonio gibson or logan thomas you know it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense um again the offense in the game did not look great the, the offense for the commanders did not look good at all they did get three touchdowns but they didn't have long fields to go, and and they did their job. Uh, but I'm really giving the the win to the Commanders' defense, and the and the loss to the Falcons' offense in this one, Julius.
0: <sighs> well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm rooting. I find myself rooting for the Falcons because, of course, I'm taking to win of the division. I want to see them live up to their potential. But uh, and, you know, as Patrick said. When they lose, the first place you look is Desmond Ritter. And we saw Ritter kind of take a step forward last week, and you're hoping he can build off of that, and it just didn't happen in this game. So early in the game, they, the Falcons called a trick play, and it ends up with Kadero Hodge being wide open along the sideline, and Ritter misses that pass. And it was like that was a foreshadowing of things to come. Now, I will say this. The opening drive, the Falcons did go down and ultimately score a touchdown. And that was a sharp throw from Desmond Ritter to Kyle Pitts. And I'm like, okay, now now we're back. We had the one bad throw early. Now Desmond Ritter's going to find his rhythm. But it just never happened. Uh, There was an opportunity to hit Van Jefferson on a deep pass. And Desmond Ritter just overthrew it. And uh, by the way, I, I found that acquisition interesting because, again, we talked about how the Falcons were going to be a very, very run-heavy team. And so to see them acquire a wide receiver uh, mid midseason and immediately throw him on the field just a few days after picking him up, that was an interesting move. We see how Van Jefferson is going to be used. He's obviously going to be the deep ball specialist in an offense that already has uh, London and Pitts to be your contested catch and intermediate guys. But, um, again, if If Ritter can't have that accurate deep ball, then Van Jefferson is going to be as useless here as he was with the ranks. You talk about the Washington offense and their struggles. They got sparked by a 61-yard punt return from Jamison Crowder. It looked like he was going to score, but uh, he ended up getting caught right at the end. But, you know, that sets up scoring opportunities for Washington and they're able to build on it from there. So like you said, Uh, The commander's offense able to take advantage of short fields to get their points, but not necessarily putting big drives together. Uh, Shout out to Calais Campbell. He recorded his 100th career sack in this game and gave you a little dirty bird celebration afterwards. If there's one team you want to see when you've got 99 career sacks, this is one of the teams. There's a couple other teams in the league you might want to see, but this is one of the teams. got 99 career sacks. You come into this game, you know you're facing the most sacked quarterback in the league. You had to feel good that you were going to get your 100 sack, and Calais Campbell got it. So good for him. All right. Kendall Fuller was able to make an interception in this game, and a nice diving interception. But, again, it was a poor throw. Nice play, but poor throw. And that turnover leads directly. Again, another short field for the commanders. That leads to the Brian Robinson Jr. touchdown on a screen pass. And I, I do like that Robinson finished that play by just running over Deion Grant, even though he was already in the end zone. I, I, I like that Robinson wants to send you that message, like, nah, you're no, you're not even safe if you're on the other side of the goal line. So I just thought that was kind of a, a tone-setting message, and I, I just like to see those. That's just the old-school fan in me. Somehow, some way, this game was still kind of a game going into the fourth quarter. Obviously, it's an eight-point game, so uh, the Falcons have found, found a way, despite themselves, despite the quarterback, to, to be in the game. <laughs> uh yeah, a fourth... Quarter situation where the Falcons are right on the goal line on third and goal, and there's a delay again. Why? What are you doing to get a delay of game? You're at the goal line. Run something. You're a great running team. Why don't you try to run the ball third and goal at the goal line? I don't. I just don't get why easy things become hard in this offense. So now you have to set yourself back, and then on the next play, again it's third and goal, meaning. You can throw the ball away and have another down. Instead, Ritter panics, throws a lollipop into the end zone, and he gives Benjamin St. Juice his first career interception. Again, a lot of firsts going on in the league. I mean, this, this, is, this is a terrible play, taking points off the board when you need every point you can get. And even still, despite that, you still have one more chance. And you try to force a slant pass to B. John Robinson, and it gets intercepted by Jamin Davis, his first career interception. So, guys who never get interceptions, now, granted, these are second-year players I'm talking about, so it's not like they went a decade without an interception. But to give them their first interceptions with the game on the line in both situations, it, it was just incredibly disappointing to see that poor decision-making and that poor execution from Desmond Vitter. And yes, that did. That was the reason the Falcons lost this game. Uh credit to Casey Tuhill for the Commanders. He had to step in. Uh, Montez Sweat injured his thumb in the game, so Tuhill got more playing time than he usually does. He got a couple of sacks in this game. He was able to chase Ritter outside the pocket and, and get a sack, so uh, he had a big impact on this game late. So just want to give him a shout-out for the Commanders. And uh, yeah, you talked about Drake London and the big game he had. Uh The Commanders benched Emmanuel Forbes in this game, and yet they still gave up another big game to a top receiver, so that trend continued. Uh, But again, because of the turnovers, that's the most important stat in football turnovers. Uh, It didn't matter (laughs) that London had a big game. Uh, Still a win for the Commanders just because they didn't give the Falcons the game. The Falcons gave them the game. Uh, Just one more note, Desmond Ritter in this game threw for 307 yards, Sam Howell threw for 151. Yet, who would you say had the better game? This is why I say passing yards, they are the most overrated stat in football. And I can give you some other examples from what we saw this weekend, but a 300-yard performance doesn't mean you played well. 150 doesn't mean you played bad. Don't go by that. If you throw the ball more, you get more passing yards. Keep it simple, people. Moving on to the Chicago Bears, who did what they do best, lose, this time at home to the Minnesota Vikings, 19-13. Now, the Bears, they had a nice holiday last week. They, they took a break from losing. It's just hard to lose for a whole year. You need get a break at some point. So, you know, the, the Bears go out against the commanders last week. They get a win. They score 40 points. They're feeling good about themselves. They go into this game. The first play of the game, Justin Fields gets sacked by Daniil Hunter on a play where Daniil Hunter was not even touched. Reminder, Daniil Hunter's a defensive end. Why is he not being touched at all? So uh, the Chicago Bears quickly remembered who they were, literally from the first snap in this game. Within the first five plays of the game, the Chicago Bears had three negative plays, including that sack on the first play. That's the Chicago Bears we all know and I, don't, I won't say love, but maybe feel sorry for. It. There was a play in this game in the second quarter <laughs> where Kirk Cousins threw a pass that was a, initially ruled a turnover. It was a backwards pass, uh, but he got a quarter break because the, the play was considered to be recovered out of bounds after initially being ruled bounds. So you know Minnesota got a little bit of a break there. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered. Justin Fields that was through his. Again, I, I defend Justin Fields a lot, but every week he seems to throw one bad interception. He had the bad interception in this game when the team was in field goal range, so that took points off the board. Again, when you're scoring 13 points, you can't afford to take points off the board. Uh, so this game was another game that had an ugly offensive start to it. A lot of these games around the league. And uh, Minnesota was able to finally get something going. Uh, Towards the end of the first half, they were able to get a touchdown to Jordan Addison. Addison now in six career games has a touchdown in four of them. So that draft pick is paying off. Again, I don't love that they took a wide receiver in the first round, given the shape of this roster. But he is paying dividends. And of course, now with Justin Jefferson uh, gone for several weeks, uh, that's looking uh, like a smarter move than it probably was. Uh, Fields in the third quarter. Again, in the process of being sacked, because that's what he knows. He tries to flick the ball away at the last second to avoid the sack. Lands awkwardly on his thumb. Dislocates it. Turns out that thumbs are kind of important, especially the one on your throwing hand. So Fields comes out of the game. And enter Tyson Bajent. And shout out to you if you've ever watched a Tyson Bajent college game. Because he played at Shepherd College in West Virginia. So if you watch any of their games... Let me know. But that said, Tyson Bajan did throw 94 touchdowns in his last two years there, and he did get a combine invite, which to get a combine invite when you play at Shepherd College means you're doing something right. Uh, that said, the first possession of his career ended in a Josh Patella sack of the phone. So... Bears still doing bare things, and not just a fumble, but a fumble that was ultimately returned for a Jordan Hicks touchdown. And again, on a day where both offenses were terrible, a defensive touchdown, basically is going to end the game. Uh, we get to later in the game, Cody Whitehair, who had been starting at center for the Bears, he gets benched for Lucas Patrick. Now, Matt Eberflus tried to defend Whitehair after the game, tried to cover for him and say that Whitehair was benched. Uh, Because Lucas Patrick had more experience snapping the ball to Tyson Bajan. Ask yourself if that makes sense. How many times do we see quarterbacks get benched or get injured and the coach takes the starting center out of the game because the backup quarterback and the backup center have more chemistry? That doesn't happen. Cody Whitehair was benched because of inaccurate snaps. And the fact that you let Cody Whitehair give all these inaccurate snaps to Justin Fields, knowing your line can't protect him. So you know Justin Fields is skittish in the pocket. Now he's got to take his eyes off the rush because the snaps are coming to his right, to his left, above his head, anywhere but in his hands. And then when Fields finally finally gets injured because it was bound to happen the way he gets hit, now you want to change at center. Appreciate that, Bears. Way way to look out for your uh, once upon a time franchise quarterback. All this said, despite the disaster that the Bears were all day, They still had a chance at the end of the game. And Tyson Bajan being as inexperienced as he is and making as big a jump as it was. You know, you go from playing again at Shepherd College to, oh, snap, I got to get in an NFL game right now. I didn't prepare for this. It's not a shock that with the game on the line, he panicked through a desperation. He even, you know, on third down, he had another down to work with. He didn't have to do it. He just chucked one up. It was short of DJ Moore, gets intercepted by Byron Murphy Jr., and that pretty much ends the game. So if you look at some of the stats from this game, the Bears had more yards than the Vikings. The Bears had the ball more, won the time of possession battle, and oh, by the way, the Vikings were 2-for-13 on third down. So basically this game was a disaster for the Vikings, and they won, because that's good enough to beat the Bears. Why? Again, the Vikings plus 2 turnover margin. It's, It's amazing what Winning the turnover margin will do. Now, the Vikings came into the season minus seven in turnover margin. That's why they were one and four. You win the turnover margin, you win the game. Now, again, the Bears gave you uh, some turnovers. That's just what they do. Now, you're playing the 49ers next week. You're probably not going to get those same breaks. So the Vikings still have a lot to figure out. But you'll take a road division win however you can get it. As for the Bears, Justin Fields unlikely to play next week. We'll see how that impacts the game against the Raiders, but this Bears offense, and in fairness, basically all their running backs missed this game due to injury, so it's just a mess in Chicago, to the surprise of note.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I feel the worst for DJ Moore, because <clears throat> to play with the Panthers your whole career, then get traded to the Bears, and now you have Tyler Tyson Baygent throwing to you, good luck DJ Moore college career at Maryland, no one throws you the ball. NFL career in the Panthers, no one throws you the ball to now the Bears. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. The biggest news from this uh, game is that obviously Justin Fields got hurt, but uh, Kirk Cousins will not waive his no-trade clause. Um, so he's going to be with Minnesota potentially for the rest of the season unless something changes. Now, a lot of people are like, "Why would he not try to go to the Jets or why would he not try to go to the Falcons?" Listen, he's definitely not going to Atlanta. He's not moving from Whitey White, Minnesota to Chocolate City, you know, <laughs> uh, Atlanta. Like it's not—I ha- know Chocolate's in D.C. Everyone, calm down. Uh, to Atlanta, so it's just not going to happen. Um, I wouldn't see that happening. Uh, the Jets, you know, I why whenever Kirk Cousins pretty much can do whatever he wants in Minnesota, so. Justin Jefferson's hurt now. Um, Kirk Cousins is still going to be able to throw the ball. he got to throw it 31 times in this game. We know the Minnesota Vikings don't have a run game. And as Julius has said, he just wants to pad his stats. So why would Kirk Cousins ever leave Minnesota? He's going to still throw the ball a bunch, even without Jefferson. He's going to try and get paid as a free agent next year, which he'll probably get another guaranteed, complete guaranteed contract. So why would you leave? You, you have the excuse... Look at my stats. I played for a terrible team, and I still put up these stats. Think of what I could do for your team. You know that, that's, that, I think that's going to be the move, and I, and I don't blame him. I think it's a good move because uh, a lot of people fall in love with stats as they have his whole career, um, and I bet you he does get paid in the offseason. Um, everyone thought that Dalvin Cook was the issue in the running game. It's just the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. Uh, Alexander Madison hasn't done much this year. Cam Akers hasn't done much after they traded for him to come over. Um, and so, yeah, the run game is almost non-existent for Minnesota. So, again, Cousins will probably put up 4,500 passing yards this, this season, even without Justin Jefferson. Um, the Byron Murphy interception, uh, DJ Moore, I just want to give him props for, doing, for hustling back and actually forcing a fumble, which could have gotten the Bears the ball back, but unlucky for him, uh, Byron Murphy the ball bounced right back into his chest so um, good hustle play by DJ Moore to not give up on the after the interception like you see a lot of star wide receivers do uh, he ran back and and made a great punch out to, to force the fumble um, never good though when you're when you're uh, number one receiver has two tackles on, on on the game though you don't want him having more tackles than the guys who play defense um as Julius said, this game was just an awful game all around, but that's what you get when you have two bad teams playing each other, and these two teams are some of the worst in the league. Um, Jordan Asson caught his fourth touchdown on the season, so Julius and I also questioned why they drafted him. Uh, with Justin Justin being hurt now, looks a little better, but I mean, I guess he is producing. But uh, still, the Vikings had so many other holes, Julius, they could have, filled in the draft, and they decided not to, but at least Addison is actually producing, unlike some of these other rookie wide receivers that were drafted, but I guess that's the only positive you can say uh, to come out from that draft pick. <clears throat> Moving over to the Seattle Seahawks, uh, coming to Cincinnati, um, and Cincinnati wins this game 17-13, to Julius, and again, not because of Joe Burrow, so Joe Burrow had one good game, everyone was saying Joe Burrow's back, Joe Burrow's back. Joe Burrow, you need to take your defense out to dinner or something because they, once again, just like in the playoffs, even though everyone wants to say Joe Burrow is the reason they led them to the Super Bowl, uh, the defense came through in the clutch. They had four sacks in this game, two interceptions, 13 quarterback hits. Um, they were just in the backfield all day on Geno. Um, again, Gino dropped back and tried to throw it 41 times. Uh and and only had 323 yards. So um, they just threw it a lot, uh, and the Cincinnati Bengals were bending but not breaking their defense, right? They gave up a bunch of yards, but they were not giving those touchdowns up uh, besides the one Kenneth Walker, the third run. Um, Burrow had a pick in this game. Uh, he only threw for 185 yards. He did throw two touchdowns. Um, Again, though, it, it, it wasn't Joe Mixon was nowhere to be found in this game. Again, the, the Seahawks' defense is playing a lot better than people thought they would this year. Um, and and they could have won this game and probably should have won this game, Julius. But, again, that last interception from Geno sealed the game. Uh, but, you know, this, this game, we know Seattle uh, historically doesn't travel well. Um, you know, it was fourteen to ten at half, and the game ended up seventeen to thirteen. So it's just uh the second halves have been a real struggle for teams this year. We we've seen a lot of bad second half football. Um you know DK Metcalf was targeted ten times in this game, Joyce, and they only connected on four of those receptions. I don't know if that's his rib injury still bothering him or or what. Uh, it was good to see Jackson Smith and Jigwood get more involved in the offense. He had five targets, but he caught four of them. So, you know, that's good to see. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with Noah Font. I don't know why you trade for him and then you're not going to use him. Uh, him and Will Disley should not be getting the same amount of targets. Again, that's just a scheme thing for me. But, um, you know, after after Cincinnati started the season off really bad, They're, look look at them now, 3-3. Three and three. And they're right there in their division. Uh, Baltimore 4-2, Pittsburgh 3-2, Cleveland 3-2, and then you got Cincinnati at 3-3. But um, again, you're not going to win too many games in the NFL scoring 17 points, Julius. Um, There's really not a lot of good to talk about from this game either, just like most of the games this week. Uh, As people who probably play fantasy football a lot, if y'all looked at the fancy football scores this week, a lot of low-scoring games. That's because there was not a lot of offense and scoring production in the NFL this week. A lot of ugly games. Um, Jamar Chase got 13 targets in his game. Caught six of them. Went for 80 yards. No touchdowns. Um, again, just T. Higgins, four targets, only two, two catches. We know he's coming back from injury as well. But, again, Burrow just only 185 yards. 80 of those were to Jamar Chase. Um, just, you know, just... Again, we talked about yardage and Geno Smith almost doubled uh you know, Joe Burrow's yardage and again, this is a game the Seahawks probably should have won um and just and just didn't. But again, this this was a lot of at least for the Seahawks, this was a lot of, you know, getting a lot of yards but just not being able to finish drives and we've seen that a lot in the NFL this year And like I said. The second half of this game was was a brutal watch where Six points for both teams combined.
0: Uh, yeah, you talked about how seventeen points won't win you a lot of games in today's NFL. Well, seventeen points would have won you a lot of games this week. I mean, I don't know what was going on around the league, but like you said, just a lot of offensive struggle happening this week. And uh, this is one of those games. Uh, first and foremost, Charles Cross returned for Seattle. That's a big deal. They get their left tackle back. Uh, Again, didn't make a difference necessarily in this game as far as the result. But uh, if you're the Seahawks, you want Charles Cross uh, protecting your quarterback's blind side. So that's uh, great news for them. This is his first game since week one. So uh, moving forward, that should be a good deal for the Seahawks. This game started out looking like a shootout. Uh, Seattle goes on their first possession. They get a touchdown running uh, Kenneth Walker, the third, into the end zone. And then... Seattle, they don't do what Atlanta did and just mess around at the goal line. Seattle, they have their identity. We're close. We're giving it to Walker. we are see what he can do. Uh, if you watch that touchdown run, Jake Bobo actually came in motion and served as the lead blocker on that play. And I talked about Bobo and his blocking. That, that is getting him on the field. Uh, he also had a big catch and, and run where he's dragon tacklers later in this game. But uh, he's, he's a tone-setting receiver with his physicality. So he's somebody to keep an eye on for that reason. Uh, Cincinnati came right back. They got a touchdown on their opening drive. That was aided by Jaron Reed jumping off sides on a fourth and two at Seattle's 46. I, I don't know why in that situation they're jumping off sides, but he did. And uh, the Bengals were able to take advantage and uh, get Tyler Boyd his first touchdown of the season. Uh, the second touchdown uh, for the Bengals was to Andre Yoshibas, who's a guy that I talked about even in our Pre-draft podcast episode is the guy who I thought was a deep sleeper in this class, so it's good to see him getting his first career touchdown. Uh, There was a flag on the play, so he didn't celebrate much, but the flag turned out to be a defensive flag, so he was good to go. And he's on the board now. And uh, like you said, Patrick, the first half of this game looked the way you would think it would look between these teams, a good amount of offense, good amount of back-and-forth action, Second half, everything kind of came to a halt. We talked about the Joe Burrow interception. Uh, that was one of his many targets to Jamar Chase. Uh, just a 50-50 ball. wasn't necessarily a decision or anything like that. Just a 50-50 ball. Try to let Chase make a play. Uh, Trey Brown just found the ball faster than Jamar Chase did. And so that led to the interception. It wasn't a terrible throw or anything. Just when you throw a 50-50 ball, there is 50 the other way. And uh, you take that risk and you lost on that one. Uh, Gino Smith came right back with a red zone interception. Um, He tried to get the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't know what he saw, but uh, Mike Hilton, he got that interception, but there was just a lot of traffic uh, around Smith and Jigba on that play, so I'm just not sure why Smith made that throw. Uh, That throw did come one play after there was an illegal low block called on Kenneth Walker in the third, so I've talked about before how A lot of these quarterbacks, they throw interceptions when they're behind the chains. That interception that Smith threw, that was second and goal from the 18th. So a lot of times, you get behind the chains, you get a penalty, you move back, and the quarterbacks want to get it all right back. And that leads to a lot of interceptions, and that did happen there. Uh, The Bengals, even going beyond just the second half, the Bengals scored three points in the last 42 minutes of this game and still somehow won. So that lets you know how this game went, starting even before you got to the second half. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt, to me, deserved a player of the game honors. Uh, he had a diving interception in the fourth quarter to help seal this win for Cincinnati. It was a play where uh, the Caleb Metcalf kind of stopped his route, didn't expect the ball. Smith threw it anyway. Taylor Britt, he didn't stop on the play, he was prepared, he got that interception. Uh, That interception led to an Evan McPherson 52-yard field goal. Again, the only points the Bengals had in the last 42 minutes of the game. Uh, Earlier in the game, there was a deep shot to Metcalf that Taylor Britt broke up. Later in the game, there was another situation, third goal. Uh, You've got to stop Tyler Lockett, who has a knack for getting open in those situations. And Taylor Britt was able to knock that pass down at the goal line. So, the versatility to go up against somebody with Metcalf's physicality and then it's come right back and match up with somebody like Lockett who relies on shiftiness to get open. Uh, that's impressive to me that you can defend different types of receivers and get the same result. So uh, gold star for a Cam Taylor Britt in this game. Uh, the Cincinnati defense as a whole, like you said, Patrick, they they won this game as a whole. Uh, they came up with back-to-back turnovers in the red. The turnovers on downs in the red zone to seal this game. Um, the second time they got they got sacks. They were getting sacks in the red zone. Like I said, on, especially on the second uh, red zone opportunity for Seattle with the gamble to line, since a pass rush came through it, and it wasn't just one guy. It was all of them. It. it was Trey Hendrickson. It was Sam Hubbard. It was DJ Reader. It was BJ Hill. Shout out Wolf Wolfpack. It was the entire defensive line. Not necessarily all on the same play, but one or two guys here, one or two guys there uh, that made Geno Smith uh, in, they put him in uncomfortable situations and forced bad throws out of him down the stretch when they got to the goal line. Uh, one of those ejection-worthy hits that I talked about from earlier, uh, Dax Hill got called for a 15-yard penalty for a hit where he kind of launched into Jake Bobo. But Jake Bobo got up, and he got up and wasn't woozy, so there was no ejection. Again, let's not eject people based on optics. Let's eject people based on what happened. If Daxon Hill didn't deserve to get ejected, which he did not, then Kyle Hamilton shouldn't have been ejected from the Ravens game. I'm just saying. Uh, When you look at the Bengals, Orlando Brown Jr. left this game with a groin injury, and we all know, know Cincinnati's offensive line has been the topic of discussion for years now. So when you look at Orlando Brown being banged up, So Burrow's still working his way back from the calf, even though even in this game, he don't even play as well, he still looked better with his mobility. But you still got that calf thing lingering with Burrow. You got T. Higgins, who I don't think is fully recovered from his rib injury. The bye week is coming at just the right time for the Bengals. Uh, As for Seattle, again, they, they came out of their bye, kind of looked a little flat in the second half of this game. But, again, a lot of that was good Cincinnati defense. They'll go and face Arizona next week. That should be a nice bounce-back spot for them. We did have some interesting results this weekend, and one of them came in Cleveland, where the Browns take down the previously undefeated San Francisco 49ers, 19-17. Now, going into this game, we know what it was. Obviously, no Deshaun Watson. Obviously, no Nick Chubb. Jack Conklin's already on season-ending IR. And you go into this game without Joel Bettonio. So without those two pieces, Conklin and Bettonio on the line, going up against that defensive line that the 49ers bring to the table, you are thinking this game is going to be a complete mismatch. On paper, it was. And the game started the way you thought it would start. Uh, first touch of the game for Christian McCaffrey, he gets a 27-yard run. Then uh, McCaffrey scores a touchdown, which we know it's not a 49ers game unless Christian McCaffrey scores a touchdown. Uh, he gets a 13-yard catch and run on a shuffle pass. The opening drive took under four minutes. Brock Purdy barely had to lift a finger. The 49ers just took him down the field, and some penalties took him down the field as well. Greg Newsom II and Darius Smith both had 15-yard penalties on the opening drive. And so, bam, you're thinking this is how the whole game is going to go. 7 up in San Francisco has to be expected. The round is on. Uh, But then the rest of the quarter was just marred by missed opportunities for both teams. So you had Philip Walker Jr. who's making the start in this game. He gets intercepted by Fred Warner. It looks like Warner could potentially run it back for a touchdown. He gets caught and tackled inside the 30. But it's it's a great scoring opportunity for San Francisco. But uh, the 49ers ran a predictable McCaffrey screen because it's like all they were doing to start the game. And finally Cleveland caught on to that. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa got a tackle for an 8-yard loss. Then you lose 5 more yards on a George Kittle false start. And the next thing you know, a drive that started inside the 30 ends up with a Jake Moody 54-yard miss because you got knocked backwards thanks to negative plays and penalties. First miss, again, a lot of firsts in the league, first miss in the career of Jake Moody. Not a good first, but it's going to happen at some point. Uh, Cleveland came right back and... David and Joku got in the end zone. The touchdown is called back because of a hold on Wyatt Teller. So instead of having a touchdown, now you got to settle for a Dustin Hopkins field goal. And he misses that. So you go know, from thinking you have seven points to thinking you have three points to having no points. So missed opportunities for Cleveland there. Out of 49ers come right back. There's a deep throw to Brandon Ayuk, which he is able to get his hands on, but he just can't bring in. If he catches the ball and keeps his balance, he probably scores. It's probably a 60-plus yard touchdown. And that was a third and 13 play. So that's one of those situations where, you know, the quarterback can't overcome it because there's not another down. Fourth and 13, you got a punt. So just a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of sloppy play, a lot of penalties early on. Miles Garrett got called for a couple of offsides. Uh, Just an ugly start to the game after that first possession from San Francisco. Uh, In spite of all that, the 49ers are still up 10-0. So it's like, okay, well, it's not the blowout we thought, but you know, San Francisco is still going to cruise to a win here. Halfway through the second quarter, you get Amari Cooper catching a deep pass. And not just settling for catching a deep pass, he was able to cut back inside. He wasn't called out of bounds this time erroneously. Uh, he was able to cut it back inside and pick up big yardage. That set up uh, Kareem Hunt's first touchdown of the season. Uh, Cooper later in the game on the opposite sideline had a leaping catch over uh, Charvarius Ward. And even with a backup quarterback who played like a backup quarterback, Cooper had 108 yards in this game. So uh, shout-out to Amari Cooper. He, he really came through when the Browns needed somebody, too. Uh, there was a situation uh, near the end of the first half where P.J. Walker lost the ball and the 49ers recovered, but the referee stepped in and, and called it an underhanded forward pass. I didn't agree with the ruling, but that's what the call was. That cost the 49ers at least three points, probably, probably. And in a game like this, those points end up costing you. So that was a questionable, I will not say it was a wrong call, but it's not the way I would have called. So with all that going on, Browns catching breaks. The Browns get back, they tie this game up, and now we get to see Brock Purdy. Now all of a sudden you're in a situation where the game's tied. You're not in a comfortable situation. You got guys around you getting hurt. Christian McCaffrey's hurt. Uh, Tyshawn Samuels hurt. Trent Williams has been out for a couple of plays. This is the first time, basically, in his career, outside of the game he got hurt in, that Brock Purdy is not in an ideal situation. And his response? An immediate interception thrown to Martin Emerson Jr. First interception that Purdy's thrown all year. But it's just interesting to see that once the game got tight and once things, for the first time ever, weren't perfect around Purdy, He didn't look nearly the same. Now, I'd like to, again, blame what happened around him with the injuries. The weather was not favorable. It was wet. It was windy. But, again, that's not been an excuse that was acceptable for other quarterbacks. So I'm just reporting what happened. Now, there's a big call in this game late where Tayshaun Gibson was called for a 15-yard penalty for a high head shot or shot to the head neck area, as they like to say. Was it a good call, bad call? I thought I was okay with the call. Again, he wasn't ejected because we don't eject people if the guy's not laid out on the ground. But uh, there was some controversy there. There was also a defensive hold for Traverius Ford. So all these things created an opportunity uh, for Dustin, Dustin Hopkins to come in and kind of redeem himself and get a field goal. Credit to Hopkins. He did make the field goal following a Nick Bosa sack. So it was a tougher field goal than it should have been because of that last sack. But he was able to get it through. And, you know, Purdy, he did, I'll use the term loosely, lead a drive into field goal range. Most of it was Brandon Ayuk on a short catch and run. But the 49ers get in field goal range. Jake Moody comes out. The second kick was well within his range. But he misses it. And that's all she wrote. I'm also going to give credit to the Cleveland Browns in this game. Again, I don't want to trash Brock Purdy after one bad performance. He's been overrated. That is not a mean thing to say. You can be overrated and good. He has been overrated. There have been talks about Brock Purdy being an MVP frontrunner. That's word for word what I was told. There's been talks about Brock Purdy being the next Tom Brady. There's been talks of whether or not he's been elite. Ryan Clark's on TV telling you Brock Purdy's elite. He's not. He does what he has to do for this team, which is not that much, but credit to him for not messing it up. So I don't want people overreacting to the first 10 games of his career, but I also don't want people overreacting to this game. He's not a bum just because he had a bad game final. So let's just be even killed with Purdy moving forward. Let's not make him the next GOAT, but let's also not make him a bum just to have one bad game. But again, the Browns' defense is where, where it's at right now. Uh, through the first five games of the season, the Browns have allowed the third fewest yards in league history since the league merger in 1970. So this is more about the Browns than it is about the 49ers and even the weather and even the entrance With this defense, the Browns can be in just about any game where they have a functional quarterback. The only game they got blown out in, it was a game where they threw Dorian Thompson-Robinson out there at the last second. And by the way, that was Lamar Jackson, the only quarterback that had a good game against the Browns defense. Leave that aside. This Browns defense is legit. They showed it in this game. Colts are going to be in trouble having to face this defense. This defense is worth keeping an eye on. As for the 49ers, they get the Vikings next week on Monday night, so you get Kirk Cousins in primetime. That's what you want when you're coming off of a loss yourself. So the 49ers will be okay. I still think the 49ers are the best team in the league if these injuries are not severe. But this was a nice reality check that this team probably needed.
1: Yeah, I think this is the best thing that could happen to the 49ers. Not the injuries, obviously, but getting the loss early in the season and out of the way to kind of humble the entire team right after you blow out the Cowboys and and on prime time and everyone's riding high to go into a game that everyone's saying you're going to win by 30 and and just dominate because PJ Walker's playing and no Deshaun Watson and this and that and you lose um, should get this team back on track Uh, you hope the injuries aren't serious and don't uh <clears throat> take some of their star players, aka McCaffrey out of for the season. Um so we'll see how those details roll out and what happens moving forward. But I'm with you. They get Minnesota prime time. Um should be a win again for this team, but you just never <coughs> you just never know. Uh again, NFL is a week to week league. Any given Sunday, all those things ring true because of games like this. Um yeah man uh, you I mean you touched on it all the 49ers offense just looked bad once McCaffrey and Debo went out uh Purdy had his worst game but we talked about this at the in the in the preseason the Browns have a legit defense we we've said this we've said the Browns defense is a top five defense in the NFL and um if their offense can just get to what Deshaun Watson was in Houston and he doesn't have to get to that level If he can just be right below that level this team could be dangerous he obviously hasn't played. In three weeks, but um if if the offense can catch up to the browns defense, it seemed to be dangerous and and this game just proves why and their their team only put up nineteen points and they beat probably the best team in the n f l um again four nine injuries you could see the offense kind of stalled after that uh moody missed two field goals, which obviously were huge um but yeah, this this was another ugly game. Um, Amari Cooper goes to show you, once again, it doesn't, if you're good at what you do, you're going to be good no matter who's throwing you the ball. It doesn't, it's this notion of, oh, this guy's making this quarterback look better, or this quarterback's making this wide receiver look better. That's not, that's very rarely the case, you know. If, if you're a good receiver, you're, you're going to be a good receiver. If you're a good quarterback, you're going to be a good quarterback. You know, it, it's, it's just one of those things that you and I talk about all the time. It's just one of those things that, for some reason, the media or, or whoever created this narrative, it really has gained traction, and people just think that if you're a great player, you can make other people great, which is which is not the case. And I feel like a lot of people should be realizing that with how Patrick Mahomes has looked this year um, and how his receivers have looked. You, you can't he can't magically make his receivers better, um, even if he's putting the ball right on the money. So. Um, again, Cooper, 4-700, he's already talked about it. He made great catches in this game, um, even on some, some balls that were not thrown very well. So, uh, Moving over to Miami, South Beach. Uh, this game started off uh, as badly as it could for, for the Dolphins, and it was hilarious watching people overreact as they overreact normally on Mondays and Tuesdays after games. Uh, but just seeing them overreact to the first I don't know, six minutes of this game and and just flipping out because the panthers went up uh fourteen nothing uh in in the first quarter and um after that, it was all dolphins and 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 they scored they went down fourteen nothing joyous, and they scored twenty one in the second quarter. Um, man when when two is healthy, this team is just on a whole nother level. Uh, we saw it last year. Uh, at the beginning of the year when he was healthy, and then we saw how bad the team looked uh, when he got hurt and they went into the playoff and they like crept into the playoffs. Uh, this team is just on a whole other level, man, when, when Tua's out there and playing. And 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 I know people talk about his deep ball and, and he, is he accurate and this and that. I, I don't know how you still have these reservations about Tua when he's just out here just putting up the stats and, 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 and winning games and and everything that people say they want, but they only want that if it's the quarterback that looks a certain way or the quarterback that they, they like, right? Like, somehow Justin Herbert still gets all the love when Tua has outplayed him the last two years, again, when he's healthy. Um, and I don't want to hear, you know, he has Tyreek Hill, because when Tyreek Hill got traded from the Chiefs, I was the only one, to my knowledge, back when we were talking about in the preseason, that I thought Tyree could still have a big season with Tua, and that the Dolphins' offense with him and Jalen Waddell would be ridiculous, and everybody else was saying, Tyree Hill's going to fall off because he no longer has Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, we heard that narrative, and that's how I was getting Tyree killed in the fourth round and third round of my fantasy drafts last year. So, um and now Tyreek Hill will never win MVP, but he is in the conversation just because of the season he's having. He is on pace to to break the two thousand yard receiving record, Julius. He his first six games is what wide receiver twos have an entire season sometimes. He has forty-two catches, eight hundred and fourteen yards, and six touchdowns. That's that's absurd. But Tua has fourteen touchdowns. So I mean it's not even like he's only looking at Tyreek, and that's that's the beautiful thing. Um he spreads the ball around. he normally makes the correct pass. Now does he make mistakes? Yes, every quarterback does. Um, but again, when Tua's is healthy man, he just takes this Miami team to a whole other level uh, and it's and it's and it's fun to watch. Um, you know again, our biggest concern uh, for Miami is their defense and and again. I know the Panthers are the highest scoring team in the NFC South, but you should not be giving up 21 points to the to the Panthers, and you should not be down 14-0 to start the game. I don't know if this was one of those things where they expected to come in and just and blow this team out, and just kind of lost uh, focus for that first quarter. But uh, again, McDaniel got them back on track real quick. Um, you know, I got to give a shout-out, man. Raheem Mostert, just once he got healthy, and I, and I knew this was McNeil's guy when they got him from San Francisco. When Mostert's healthy, man, he his yards per carry and his average is, is ridiculous. And, and this guy just makes big plays in the run game. Um, so, you know, it's just impressive to watch him play because people wrote him off, too, once he left San Francisco. Uh, and I, again, that was more from injury. So, if this team can just stay healthy, uh, they have dangerous players everywhere. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Adam Thielen. Uh, you know, left Minnesota; they didn't want to pay him. They, you know, they thought he was damaged goods, and he did have. You know, he was he had a pretty gruesome injury two years ago, and last year was him kind of recovering from that injury. Uh, even in an offense that has had Andy Dalton, Bryce Young. Uh, hasn't been very good. Adam Thielen is having a resurgent year. Um, he had 11 catches in this game for 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he is having a really, really good year in an offense where not much else is happening. So, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Adam Thielen. Uh, we see you out there making plays. Um, you know, we were we were high on this Panthers defense, Julius. Uh, I thought they would win them a couple more games, but I mean, when you run into the Dolphins, it, it's, never, it's never a fun game, right, to, to play as a defense, but you know, I thought this defense would be a little bit better than what they've been. Uh, and they've given up 186 points <laughs> through six games, so not great. Obviously, it's not fun to play defense when your offense isn't good. Just ask the Giants. Um, but, uh, you know, I just thought they would be a little bit better than what they were. Um, and in the Panthers, you know, 0-6, traded away their first-round pick. So tanking this year is not a good thing. Um, but it looks like it's going to be a really long season for Panthers fans. Um, and besides stealing, there haven't been many bright spots for this team. You know, luvu that's our guy. He he still makes plays on the defensive end. Um, you know, Brian Burns is normally getting after the quarterback. He only had one quarterback hit in this game. So some of the guys we like um, just not really did make an impact in this game. Um, so that stinks to see, but... Uh, you know Miami is is one of the best teams in the NFL. Like I said, it all depends on their health when it gets further into the season. But hopefully Tua can have a full healthy season because I think this team is going to be a fun team to watch the rest of the rest of the year and the rest of the way out.
0: So in the second play of this game, Bradley Chubb got a sack. And in the fourth quarter, Bradley Chubb got another sack. There are reports and rumors that after the game, Bradley Chubb was quoted as saying, I heard Patrick comments on the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast, and I took him personally. Wanted Bradley Chubb to show up? He showed up in this game. Granted, against a winless Panthers team, but you got to start somewhere. So it was good to see Chubb make his presence felt, and I know (laughs) the Dolphins want to see that. Uh, Christian Wilkins also had a couple of sacks in this game, so... Once again, this is another game where Bryce Young is under siege even after a good start, even after going up 14-0 early, even after hitting Adam Thielen for a touchdown and go up 14-0 right at the end of the first quarter. And, of course, Adam Thielen beat Cater Kohu because who doesn't? Now, this one looked a little more like a miscommunication, but, um, again, if I'm, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm concerned about Cater Kohu, and I, I need Jalen Ramsey back as soon as he can get back. You don't want to rush him back too soon. He needs to be right when he gets back, but you can't have when you're going against better teams than the Panthers or the Giants or somebody like that. You just you can't have Kater Kohu out there. If you don't believe me, just go and watch him play against Buffalo. Miami's offense had an uncharacteristic start in this game back to back three and outs, and not just back to back three and outs. Very, very conservative play calling to start of the game. I don't know if they were trying to experiment with something. Into something new work, but every pass was at or behind the line of scrimmage. They even had a play on third and inches where they lined up in a quarterback sneak formation. Tua took the snap, literally turned around, and threw a backwards pass that went over Moster's head and out of bounds. I mean, it looked like a terrible bad play. And by the way, folks, that counts as a fumble on. Tagovailoa's stats, and when you look at the stats in this game and you see a fumble under Valoa, it was because it was a backwards pass on a called play. He didn't actually get the ball knocked out of his hands. Just providing context, because there are some people who just look at quarterback fumbles and don't look at the context. So just giving you an example there. But uh, once, uh, once Miami got going, once they got out of whatever they were doing to start the game, then the game started to look the way he expected it to. Uh, we saw an- another... Another moment for, for Patrick in this game. Uh, second quarter, Panthers are up 14-7. They've got the ball around midfield. It's fourth and seven, so it's not a short fourth down play. Carolina runs a fake punt. Johnny Hecker throws it to the sidelines. Now, Johnny Hecker does this often. That was his fift- 15th co- career completion. That's a lot of completions for a punter. So... Hecker throws balls to the sideline to LaVisca Chenault Jr., who I mentioned last week is somebody Carolina seems to want to go out of their way to get more involved in the offense. And Chenault stepped out of bounds short in the first down. That's 0-6 football in a nutshell. Why are we going for that fourth down at midfield? And again, it's not fourth and one or fourth and two. It's fourth and more than you should go for. <laughs> and they, they complete the pass and still come up short. But again, that's the kind of stuff bad teams do. Uh, Three plays later, the Dolphins scored, tied the game up, and they never looked back. Uh, Miami took the lead for good on a 41-yard Tyreek Hill touchdown. I just can't understand for the life of me, and I talked about it earlier, and I'll talk about it more later. Some of these matchups and decisions don't make any sense. I can sit here and watch a Raiders game and watch Devontae Adams get double-teamed or face bracket coverage for an entire game on every single snap. How in the world is Tyreek Hill one-on-one with Dante Jackson? Dante Jackson is fast. He is very fast. He ran a 4-3-2 at the combine. He's not Tyreek Hill fast. So how how is he one-on-one with Tyreek Hill with absolutely no safety help? That's how Hill got that long touchdown. I just, I just don't understand how at this point Tyreek Hill is not facing double teams or help over the top on every single snap. It makes zero sense. I just don't get these coaches and some of the matchups they make. Every coach out there seems to be too smart for their own good. Uh, the first half ended, fittingly, It just, again, this has sum up the Panthers' season with the Eddie Pinedo 43-yard missed field goal. Pinedo, for the last couple of years, has been almost automatic from that 40 to 49-yard range, and of course he misses at the end of the first half, because, again, that's how an 0-16 team would finish the first half. Uh, the second half, again, went as expected. The only touchdown the Panthers scored in the second half was a pick-six off of Mike White, so... The game was obviously out of hand by then. Not a whole lot to talk about in the second half here. Uh, you mentioned Raheem Mostert. This game was the second time this year Raheem Mostert has had over 15 carries in a game. Not a big number. When Mostert gets over 15 carries, in both games, he's had over 100 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns. So, again, to your point, Patrick, when Raheem Mostert is healthy and when he gets the ball, he produces. You lose Devon H. Achan and... Devon is out here having 12 yards of carry, and it's, people almost forget that he missed this game because of how you ran the ball and how you executed the offense. If I have concerns about the Dolphins, it's this. One, they're beating up bad teams, and that's what you're supposed to do, but I'm not ready to crown these guys yet, and I said this before the Buffalo game, and they got blown out in the one game where they played a really good team. So I just need to see the Dolphins do it against teams that aren't the Panthers or aren't the Giants or aren't the Patriots. I just, I just need to see the Dolphins do it against better competition before I go all in on buying this team. And again, specifically at the cornerback position, I have concerns because of how bad Kato Kohu was playing. Xavier Howard left this game with a groin injury. Hopefully that's minor, but this corner depth, they, they need Xavier Howard, they need Jalen Ramsey, that's the bottom line. They don't need those guys to beat Carolina. They'll need those guys against teams that can actually play winning football. On the Carolina side, you mentioned Adam Thielen and his production. Again, he had 115 yards receiving. The rest of the team combined had 109. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. So, again, it's 0 6 football. It's how it looks. In addition to that, Frankie Lou, who left this game with an injury, and that's been part of the problem with this defense and how they've underperformed. You know, J.C. Horn, unfortunately, as usual, is out with injury. Uh, Shaq Thompson is obviously out for the season. Now you lose Frankie Louvu. This defense is beat up. The guys that are left, to me, are generally underperforming outside of Brian Burns. So it's a, it's just a mix of a mess in Carolina. The one, I guess, good thing, there's two good things for Carolina. One, they're going into a bye week, and they need about five bye weeks, but you get one. The other good news for Carolina, maybe, is that Frank Reich is giving up play-calling duties. So whatever you were doing for the first six games, all it did is get Bryce Young beat up and had me saying that Bryce Young probably shouldn't even be out there until they figure some of this stuff out. So now the offensive coordinator will actually get a chance to coordinate the offense. That's Thomas Brown. I don't know what his offense is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to look any different. But at least there's a little bit of hope for Panthers fans in a couple of weeks. I don't think it'll get much better. But I'm trying to find something you can hang a hat on as an 0-6 team. Moving on to the Sunshine State, where Sunshine, Trevor Lawrence, leads the Jacksonville Jaguars to a 37-20 win over the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, here's here's a couple of things that Patrick will like. Uh, First drive of the game, the Colts have fourth and one at the Jacksonville 43-yard line. They go for it. They get it, and they get a field goal. Jacksonville, their opening drive. They have a fourth and one at their own 45. They go for it. They get it. Travis Etienne Jr. picked up way more than a yard. So, both these teams, early fourth down situations, they both go for it. They both get it. Analytics win. First drive of the game for Jacksonville outside of that fourth down conversion. Trevor Lawrence was able to use his hard count to get a couple of offsides penalties, one on DeForest Buckner one on Dio Dingbo, that helped them score the touchdown. So the Colts defensive line just not playing disciplined football to start the game. And in a game where you're going into it on the road, division game with the backup quarterback, you don't need to help the other team come out. The Colts defense, again, the defensive line did that on the opening drive. And because of that, they faced an early deficit. Uh, Josh Allen, who was the best Josh Allen in the league this weekend, he got a sack and force fumble early in this game. That's his seventh sack of the season. Second force fumble, so he's, he's having a really hot start to the season. That led to another Travis Etienne touchdown. Etienne scored the first touchdown as well. Uh, looked like the Colts were going to hop back, get back in the game. They had a drive going. Minshew throws his first interception of the game. That was to Andre Sisco. Most important position in sports, play, uh, football, playmaking safety. That threat gets killed by Andre Sisko. Jacksonville gets the ball there, responds with another touchdown drive. At this point, it's 21-3, and you're not coming back with that backup quarterback down 21-3. Uh, Rayshawn Jenkins later in the game added another interception, so that's your other safety. Again, most important position of football, playing safety, making multiple plays to help put this game out of reach. Uh, the issue with the Colts, and you know, this game was not very competitive at all. i venture to say it wasn't even as competitive as this score indicates. You have Jonathan Taylor, who you just paid. And again, I'm happy for Jonathan Taylor. I'm glad to see a running back get paid. I want to see more running backs get paid. That said, in this game, Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss, and Moss has been great this year filling in for Taylor. Those two running backs combined for 15 carries for 40 yards. Now, you know you've got Gardner Minshew in the game. You can't rely on Anthony Richardson and his dynamic play making that anymore. Instead, you got Gardner Minshew and his four turnovers, and it really should have been five turnovers, but uh, uh, one of the interceptions that Minshew threw was uh, nullified by a Trayvon Walker offside penalty. Otherwise, it would have been a five turnover, four interception day for Minshew. You need to be able to run the ball. And I've I've said this, that they're going to have to count on these two, and it's not all their fault. The Jacksonville defensive line just beat up the Colts' offensive line in this game for the most part. So there's that. But... The Colts are going to have to find a running game. The Colts are going to have to be effective running the ball against everybody because you're not getting Anthony Richardson back anytime soon. You're probably not getting him back this year, according to the owner. So I'm going to go ahead and take his word. So you're going to have to figure out a way. Because the Minchu II, I remember when Minchu Mania was a thing. Jacksonville remembers when Minchu Mania was a thing. Minchu's return to Jacksonville, it looked like he was still playing for the Jaguars with the way he was throwing the football. But... Garvin Mitchell did have 329 yards passing in this game. Again, most overrated stat in football passing yards. 329 passing yards, and you're the reason they lost. Again, another first in this game, a couple of firsts in this game for the Colts. So we've got some good firsts for Indianapolis. Julius Brents. Most people call him Juju. Julius is too good of a name to waste, so I'm going to call him Julius. Julius Brents. (laughs) They're a rookie second-round pick. He got his first career interception in this game. Josh Downs, who I mentioned last week, is somebody who's getting more involved in the offense. He's their rookie third-round pick. He scored his first touchdown. So you got that going for you if if you're the Colts. But everything else from this game is a concern. And again, if you're performing like this on offense, good luck dealing with Cleveland's defense next week. As for the Jaguars, on the positive side, you got Evan Ingram. He had a a highlight catch in this game, a one-handed catch on the sidelines. Definitely his best player of the day. And somewhat quietly, Evan Ingram is actually tied with Travis Kelsey and TJ Hawkinson for most receptions by a tight end this year. So that just lets you know how much they're involving him in the offense. And all of a sudden, that uh, decision to keep Evan Ingram looks better and better each week for Jacksonville. On the downside for the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence had a bit of a knee injury in this game. We don't know what his status is. Keep in mind, the Jaguars play on Thursday, so there's not much time to heal. Uh, Brandon Scherf left left this game with an ankle injury. Keep in mind, Walker Little is already out, hurt. So now both of your starting guards have injuries. So the interior of that offensive line is something to keep an eye on. And uh, Tyson Campbell also hurt in this game with a hamstring. And with a hamstring injury, there's pretty much no way that's going to heal by Thursday. So he's going to be out. So the Jaguars are beat up on a short week. You don't like that. This is part of why we don't like Thursday night football, because we don't like these beat-up guys not getting a full complement of days to recover. So uh, the Jaguars do win this game, win this game fairly easy, put themselves in great uh, position as far as the division goes. But Thursday looms large based on what the injury report was after this game.
1: Yeah, this is a perfect example of how, you know, if you didn't watch this game – You're 37-20, oh, Trevor Lawrence must have had a beast game. Trevor Lawrence must have did that, did this. 20 for 30, 181 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, three sacks. Like you said, he got hurt in the game. Um, all reports are indicating that he probably won't play Thursday, but obviously it's only Tuesday, so we don't know that yet. Um, again, quick turnaround. Do you care about this one Thursday night game in October, or do you want the rest of the year Uh, potentially playoff run, I'd rather have Charlie Lawrence. So if it's that serious or even if it's a minor, I would probably sit him um, personally. But then again, I'm not a GM and I'm not a coach uh, because I wouldn't be going for it on fourth down all the time. Uh, I'm tired of talking about Julius. I've ranted about it for six weeks. Um, And that's the only reason I'm not bringing it up anymore. I blew the whistle on the entire NFL multiple times and – We've talked about the analytics and, and, and all that, but I'm just... Every time I see a fourth down conversion when it's so early in the game and not needed... Again, I, I get it. I get the analytics. I get what you're doing. It's kind of like going for two when you've scored the first touchdown of the game. Why are we going for two right now? It doesn't make any sense. We don't need to be winning 8 nothing. Who Like, what are we doing? Like, I just Some of these analytics just make no sense to me. But, um, again, the Jaguars' defense doesn't get enough praise, so Julius has already... Heaped a bunch on it. I'm going to do more. Uh, the Jaguars' defense has been really, really good this season. Um, you know, again, three picks in this game, uh, fumble recovery in this game. As as Julius said, Minshew should have had five turnovers. Um, you know, and can you just imagine this defense, Julius, if they took Aiden Hutchinson? Like, my God, to pair him with Josh Allen, it it, it would be, and Devin Lloyd and all these guys on this team, it would have been – um, you know, and I thought him and Trayvon Walker coming out were a little closer than what the, what they have been in the NFL so far. Uh, but Hutchinson has proven that he's just he he was the number one pick in that draft. I mean, his it's different free, yeah, just different. Yeah, it, it's 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 impressive. Um, just what he can do, and we talked about the one handed interception and all, like, it's just impressive. Um, so anyway, yeah, the um. Our, we were big on uh, Devin Lloyd and Josh Allen and all these guys, uh, and then the defense is just balling. And um, you know, I just want to give them a shout-out because, again, uh, for some reason, all wins fall on the quarterback, and then all losses is everyone else's fault. Um, I just don't know what's going on with Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence. I, I know Game 1, they made a big deal to get him involved, and, and to get him looks, and he had a great Game 1. And ever since then, it just seems like they just haven't had that connection. He got eight targets in this game, but only caught four of them for 30 yards. So... Um, you know, Christian Kirk, ever since game one, and they really were like, we're going to get Calvin really involved, he's been more involved in the offense. And Christian Kirk, like, you and I were kind of laughing about how much they paid him to come over and stuff, and he's just proven everyone wrong since getting to Jacksonville. Just had a great year last year. Continues to be a solid receiver for them. Uh, seems to always make a big catch when they need it. Um, and, and and honestly, Trevor Lawrence and, and, and Zay Jones have a great connection. Ever since he's been out on injury, it seems like Trevor Lawrence doesn't really have his go-to guy, which is weird to say. When he has Christian Kirk, Evan Greenman, and Calvin Ridley on the team, but if you if you noticed, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, noticed this, but um, he's real comfortable throwing to Zay Jones, and he throws, and if you and on third downs and in the red zone, he looks for him a lot, and so it, it's been interesting to see him not be as comfortable slash confident throwing to some of these other guys who are bigger names, or you would think you know he'd be more comfortable throwing to. So that's just an interesting thing to to. to watch moving forward. Um, and moving over to the Colts, this game is a perfect example of what Julius and I you know, talk about and been talking about since we started this podcast. Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback. Why is he throwing it 55 times in this game? And I, under- I get it, Julius, I get it. I don't want to sit here and act like I don't understand. You're down 21-6 at half. I understand you feel like you need to get back into the game. But you you can't give Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss only 15 carries and and give your defense a break. Get some t- try to get some time in possession. Try to do something. Um, Minshew should not be throwing it 55 times a game. Also, when Anthony Richardson is in the game, they're not doing 55 pass attempts. So it just it infuriates me when you see coaches give quote unquote a guy who has a better arm or which we know that's not true because Anthony Richardson is a physical freak. But I'm just saying, guy who can my our favorite quote Julius can read defenses such a stupid thing mm-hmm. such a stupid fucking quote i'm sorry such a du- such, it's so dumb um like why is he getting 55 pass attempts like like there's a reason he wasn't drafted in the first round not saying that all first round quarterbacks are good i'm just saying there's a reason he wasn't that great in college there's a reason he hasn't been a starter every stop that he's been in um, there's a reason he's a backup quarterback. Again, I'm not saying I dislike Gardner Minshew. I'm not saying that I hope he fails. I'm just saying why is he getting 55 passes? We haven't seen Andy Richardson throw 55 times. Why is he? Why is the guy that you drafted fourth overall to be your franchise quarterback not getting the same love that you're giving Gardner Minshew? I just don't understand it. And, and Minshew has shown us that he can have moments and make plays, but it always goes back to the mean, right? Every everything with these guys that give you that spark or, or show up you know for a game or two like everything always gets back to the mean so if you're if he has a three touchdown zero interception game he's gonna give you this four turnover should have been five turnover game it just it's just what happens with guys like this so um, I just don't understand it and, and you see it happen way too often in the NFL where someone has hype or, or someone you you know you want to be great but maybe isn't necessarily great and you're trying to make them that they just Change the play calling. It's kind of the same thing. Is the opposite of what they do with Malik Willis. If Malik Willis was Gardner Minshew, maybe he would have thrown it 55 times last year when he got into the game. But because he's Malik Willis and looks like Malik Willis and he has all these random things that come out of the combine against his name, he he's told to hand it off to Derrick Henry 75 times in a game and throw it three times. So I just it's infuriating for me to watch, um, and I'm just not a fan of. Why that's the case. And again, I understand the game kind of dictated him throwing more, but again, 21 6 at halftime doesn't mean you're down 42 6 at halftime. So let's not act like the game was necessarily over, you know, coming out of, of half. Um, moving on to the Saints and the Houston Texans, man. The Houston Texans just keep on fighting and they get another win. Heading into their bye week at 3-3. Three three. I don't think the Texans could have had a better start in mind for themselves. Um, unfortunately, as you talked about first, C.J. Stroud, first interception. Um, thrown in this game. Unfortunately, that was a cool streak for him to have, especially with the stigma around Ohio State quarterbacks. Um, hilariously, in this game, Julius Derek Carr threw it 50 times. <coughs> for 353 yards, his, his best quote-unquote statistical game this year, and they still lose. So, um, again, Derek Carr can throw for 140. Everyone says that the reason he, lo- he loses, he can throw for 353 yards, and guess what? They still lose. And that's what we talk about. Y'all can look at stats. Y'all can fall in love with stats. It doesn't really matter. You need to watch the games. You need to see the context of the games for them to really um, put into perspective how the game went. And, and again, it just, it, yes, can you put up a lot, I mean, don't get me wrong, their kicker missed two field goals, could have changed, you know, the dynamic of this game, put a little bit more pressure on the Texans, but, hey, again, this was a 17-10 game at half, and they scored six points in the second half combined, once again, Julius, just terrible second halves of games all around the league this, this week. Um... And yeah, so I'm happy that Chris Olave has shown back up, in uh, two weeks of just bad outings for him, and and so for him to to show back up this week, uh, ten targets, seven catches. That I like. That's what I like to see. Uh, Rashid Shahid has really been the touchdown guy for for Derek Carr, and they've been on pretty big plays. Um, so that that's been nice to see. Uh, Taysom Hill randomly got eight targets in this game. Um, you know. That's you you, you. 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 I know he's listed as a tight end, but you normally see him running the ball. Um, you don't really see him getting eight targets. That's that's. Uh, that was a little interesting for me, uh, to see that. Um, but in a game where we knew that you know Tank was injured and and Nico Collins was going to be the main receiver to see Houston, not really have a great offensive outing. And to win a game, this kind of like gritty, grinded-out game, this, that's huge for them. Again, 3-3 three and three going into the break. One game out of first for the division. Um, their defense has been just really, really good. The least amount of points given up in that in that division for them. Um, you know, you love to see that for D'Amico Ryans. I remember everyone was celebrating his first win as a head coach, and they probably thought that was going to be like the only win of the season for them. And, and now they're 3-3, three and three and right in the thick of, of, again, through six weeks and going into the bye week, you're in the think of a playoff hunt for your division. You can't ask for more for a team that is literally in full rebuild mode, took two first-round picks, and by that I mean the second and third pick of the draft, and traded away their first-round pick for next year. So, you know, really trying to build this thing up and, and just to see, see them, you know, at 500, six games in, is, is really impressive. There's other teams that have zero wins or one win that we thought would be a lot better than what they are. Uh, so, again... Competent coaching, knowing who you are, um, and and just making good coaching decisions can win you games. Also, playing bad teams can help you win games. So, again, C.J. Trout went 13 for 27 in this game. Julius just not a good look for him all around. But still, threw two touchdowns. Again, threw his first pick. But um, you know, a win's a win. It wasn't a pretty win. Uh, they got the points they needed to get, but uh, it, it just an ugly second half again in, in football. And, um, I really don't know what's going on, but this this was a weird week in the NFL this week, Julius, and then this game and a lot of games just had really ugly second halves uh, to them. And so, again, 20-13, to 13, uh, we talked about 17 points won't win you a lot of games. This would have been the same score that the Bengals beat the Seahawks with if they only had 17 points. So, just an ugly game all around. And again, Carr threw for his highest passing yards in the season and they still lose, so Damned if you do, damned if you don't.
0: Again, a couple of themes from the other game is bleeding into this game. One, like you said, just offensive struggles or offensive lack of continuity. You just saw it all all weekend. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, Patrick, you were talking about how uh, the preseason extends into the season. Now well, we're we're six weeks in, and his offense still looks like they're in preseason mode. At that some point. Uh, we just have to say this might just be how it is <laughs> for this season for whatever reason. Um, but in on a weekend where there was a lot of firsts, uh, there was another first. Like you said, C.J. Stroud, first career interception throw. Uh, the distinction of being the first player to get an interception off of C.J. Stroud, that goes to Zach Bond, who in turn fumbled on the return. Good play by Nico Collins to get in there, get a hand in there, knock the ball out. But it's just funny to me that uh, C.J. Stroud, after all this time, his first career interception, really doesn't even end up equating to a turnover because you get the ball right back and you get a first down to boot. So after that fumble, Colbert Stroud, the fourth, was able to capitalize uh, and get a touchdown pass to Dalton Schultz, a nice high jump ball, let him go up and get it. And you know that's that's the kind of thing you want to see from a rookie. Overall, you know, like you said, the the, the game wasn't great, the stat line wasn't great, but okay, I made a mistake, I got that first interception out of that, out of the way. Now let's go get a touchdown. So I like that mental makeup from Stroud, and that that's going to be a big deal for him and his development. Uh, yeah, Derek Carr he had a situation in this game where he nearly threw a pick six to Stephen Nelson. The ball just bounced short of Nelson. Uh, looked like it was a miscommunication with Rasheed Shaheed on a. Quick pass, <clears throat> but then two plays later, like I said, they hook up for a 34-yard touchdown, beating Stephen Nelson. Uh, then later in the game, Shahid goes deep. Uh, Derek Carr underthrows the ball, but Shahid comes back to the ball and outleaps Steven Stephen Nelson for the ball, so winning the contested catch situation. Shahid is the big play guy in this offense, and it, it's not even close. I mean, Michael Thomas, we know he's a short-to-intermediate guy. Olave, they can get deep here and there, but he's more of an intermediate guy. Shahid is the explosive weapon for this team. In almost every game, he's going to give you at least one big catch. So it's not a surprise to see him have a couple of catches in this game and average 40 yards a catch. He can do that for your offense. Uh, Again... Uh, C.J. Stroud, again, back to him and what he did for this team. He had a big uh, touchdown pass on the third and goal situation of Robert Woods. So, again, it's like the situations that Stroud is coming through in early in his career. It's not every single time, uh, but it's often enough where he can say, okay, this guy looks like he's got some promise to him. Uh, the, The Saints did come back and get a field goal to end the first half, so they were able to bring the game back within one score. This was another one of those games. The Texans did not score in the last 22 minutes of this game and still managed to hold on to win this game. Uh, You mentioned Blake Groupie and a couple of misses he had. You One was a 52-yarder. I'm not going to hold that too much against him. But he missed a 29-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. And I I just don't know how you do that, especially indoors. It's not like you can blame the wind or rain like Jake Moody could. (laughs) I I don't know how you miss a 29-yard field goal in perfect condition. So uh, that's something that has to get cleaned up for the Saints for sure. When you look at how how the Saints ended this game, yes, the two missed field goals affected the end of the game, but the last couple of possessions for the Saints, when you need it most, when you need Derek Carr to show you who he is and come through the most, last two possessions for the Saints, a turnover on downs and an interception. Now, the fourth down play, again, as a Raiders fan, I've watched Carr do this all the time. Saints fans aren't getting it yet, but I'm telling you, this is who he is. Fourth down, he throws a pass that's caught behind the line of scrimmage by Alvin Kamara. And Kamerica comes up short on the fourth down. Throw the ball four yards. Derek Carr is more than capable of making that throw. But there, there's certain moments in games where he just gets too conservative. The interception, not completely on him. His arm was hit as he was trying to make a desperation throw. Again, it's fourth and a lot at this point, And they can't throw the ball away. So he had to try to make a play. Uh, Steven Nelson, who, again, got beaten, burned by Rasheed Shahid all game. Uh, he was on Michael Thomas for the last play, last meaningful play, and intercepted the ball. It was fourth down, so he probably shouldn't have intercepted the ball because he was right at the goal line. It forced the Texans to have to run a quarterback sneak on the last play instead of just kneeling the ball because they were too close to the goal line. So maybe knock that one down. But I understand the need for Steven Nelson to try to redeem himself with that pick given how the rest of his game went. Uh, you, You mentioned Derek Carr in the passing yards. Again, the most overrated stat in football. I don't care that you got 350 yards; it resulted in 13 points. So, what did those yards really even mean? Taysom Hill, you talked about him. He had seven receptions in this game. I have no idea why, uh, considering that the Texans—I mean, excuse me—that the Saints are at full strength as far as their offensive skill positions go. So, I don't know why a guy who never caught more than three passes in a game in his career all of a sudden had seven in this game. A Little weird. Some of that comes with the high volume of passes the Saints had in this game, but it's just a little little odd that Taysom Hill had seven receptions in this game. I don't expect to see that continue, but he did have it. Uh, Talked about how the Saints played the Jaguars on Thursday, and the Jaguars have a lot of injuries going into that game. The Saints have some injury concerns as well. Uh, Ryan Ramchick is in the concussion protocols, and so – It's highly doubtful that your starting left tackle clears concussion protocol in time for a Thursday game. Again, part of why we don't love Thursday night football. Uh, James Hurst uh, had a foot issue after somebody rolled into the back of his leg. So you're talking about a team that could be without both starting offensive tackles. And we just talked about how hot the Jaguars defensive line has been led by Josh Allen. So... It's not a good time to not have the tackles, but it's going to be tough to, to predict that Thursday night game because so much of it's going to depend on what the injury report says on Thursday. So both teams banged up going into a game that is meaningful for both teams. Uh, as for Houston, again, this is the Houston team I expected to see. I'm encouraged with everything I'm seeing from this team so far, except for the fact that Damian Pierce was held under 40 yards rushing in this game. It's the fourth time this year in six games that Pierce has been held to under 40 yards rushing. They've got to get that going. Uh, Devin Singletary actually was more effective as a runner in this game, but Pierce is a tone-setting type of runner, where Singletary is not necessarily that. So you really, really want to get Pierce going, and we'll see if the Texans can do that. Um, They've got the byway to kind of straighten out the issues in their run game. But other than that, the defense is stepping up the way I thought it would. Stroud looks polished for a rookie, and – the Texans, again, this is a team I thought would take a step forward, so I'm glad to see that through six weeks, they are, in fact, doing just that. Now we get to go out to Las Vegas, where my Las Vegas Raiders defeat the New England Patriots 21-17. And I will say this. You know, even after last year's crazy ending with the Chandler Jones touchdown at the end of the game, it still feels weird, even in a year where New England's 1-5 to see the Raiders beating the Patriots. I will take it. Wait a long time for it. Still feels weird, especially in a game where the Raiders really didn't play well. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, take the fandom aside. Raiders did not play well in this game. It's just that the Patriots played a little bit worse. Again, I'll take it. Good thing for the Raiders, but <clears throat> in the first six plays of the game, Michael Mayer had three catches for 35 yards. I've been begging. I've been talking about how Sam Porter has gone to Detroit and had instant impact on the offense. We drafted tight end in the same spot, Let's get him involved in the offense. So seeing him get three receptions for 35 yards right within the first six plays of the game, that was what I wanted to see. Mayer finished the game five catches for 75 yards. He's capable. Again, Laporta may be the better passing weapon, but Mayer can catch the ball. So let's get him involved in the offense. Now, the Raiders had a very, very long opening drive. Plenty of opportunities to get the ball in the end zone. They settled for a field goal. Even with that field goal, the Patriots were call for a leverage penalty. So you got a fresh set of downs, and you still had to kick another field goal in that drive. So that was frustrating to see that opening drive. It should have been a touchdown. But uh, that was a theme throughout the game, been a theme throughout the season. The Raiders keep getting close, but can't get the ball in the end zone for the most part. Um, there was an opportunity in the, or approaching the red zone where the Raiders had a chance to score. Uh, Devontae Adams was led right into Jabril Peppers from a Jimmy Garoppolo pass. He got hammered. Ball gets knocked up in the air. Uh, Jelani Tavai comes down with the interception, and Tavai did redeem himself because earlier on that drive, he had a personal foul. So he was able to make up for that by getting that interception and uh, stopping a scoring opportunity for the Raiders. Uh, The Raiders finally, finally in the second quarter, were able to break through for one touchdown, ironically, to Jacoby Myers. Uh is able to score a touchdown against the Patriots, the same team where he could never uh, score a touchdown for. We, we know Meyer, start, Meyer started off his career with, I think it was like 130 receptions with New England before he had his first touchdown. So it's ironic that after all that waiting in New England for one touchdown, he's able to get one against the Patriots his first time facing them. Um, Patriots, they just, they just shot themselves in the foot in this game often. You had Ezekiel Elliott run for a 74-yard catch-and-run touchdown and that play gets negated by a Hunter-Henry hold. And if Hunter-Henry doesn't hold on that play and that touchdown stands, how different does this game look? Now, the Patriots did still manage to score a field goal on that drive, but you lost four points, essentially, because of that hold, and you see the margin of victory at the end of the game. So how different does the game look if that Elliott touchdown is good? Uh, Yet another scoring opportunity where Hunter-Henry is wide open And the ball just sails on McCorkle Jones, and it goes right to Trayvon Merrick. Again, most important position in football, playmaking safety. Quarterback makes a mistake. The safety is there uh, to take advantage and get a return going. That led directly to a Raiders field goal to end the half. So, again, Merrick getting the Raiders back up off the mat if they were starting to let momentum slip away a little bit. Uh, You get to the second half. I think the Marge right down for a touchdown. They to get Elliott his touchdown back off a wildcat run. Again, how that's such an effective play, I don't know. But it works seemingly every time. I will say this. Elliott had limited touches in this game. And that's despite the fact that Ramondre Stevenson went out for a bit. But in the limited touches he had, this is another game where Elliott did look to have more burst than he's had in the last couple of years. So if there's one little thing to be encouraged by for the Patriots, it's that. I don't know what that means moving forward unless you're going to trade him because he's not uh, Zeke Elliott's not going to help you out of a 1-5 hole, but uh, yeah, he looks better this year than he has in the last couple of years, at least to my eye. Uh, Brian Hoyer had to start the second half. Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, had his mandatory weekly injury in this game. This time it's a back issue. Uh, I was shocked that Brian Hoyer came out and on his second throw after coming in for Garoppolo. He threw a 40-yard, 40 48-yard pass down the field to Trey Tucker. I didn't expect to see that out of Hoyer. Uh, but I like the aggression, but once again, regardless of who the quarterback is, the drive stalls in the red zone, get another field goal, more field goals, more field goals. You keep letting New England hang around, and all of a sudden, Ramondre Stevenson breaks through for a touchdown, and now with three and a half minutes left, even though this is a game that you should have dominated, it's a two-point game. And so it gets to late in the game. Patriots backed up at their own end. McCorkle Jones, I got to give it to him. Best pass of the game, a perfect throw down the left sideline to Devontae Parker, Parker drops the ball, and right after that, there's a safety, a sack on Jones in the end zone, and that essentially ends the game. So uh, another one of those frustrating games for the Patriots, but it was frustrating as a Raiders fan too because that's the game that should have been put away if you score touchdowns in the red zone and not field goals, but that's not what happened. Uh, As for Garoppolo, all we know about him so far is that Josh McDaniel says he, quote, dodged a bullet. So maybe Garoppolo's not going to be out long. But again, the next injury, it just feels like it's right around the corner, unfortunately, for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, As for the Patriots, Malik Cunningham got a couple of snaps at quarterback in this game. Didn't really do anything, kind of handed the ball off on one play. Uh, The one pass that he might have thrown ended up being a sack by Amik Robertson. So it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on that Cunningham got a couple of snaps at quarterback. They were like Taysom Hill kind of snaps, though. They were just kind of, all right, we're going to put you in for this play. But we'll see if that role grows for him, especially if McCorkle continues to struggle with throwing the football. Um, The Raiders got the Bears next. Again, we don't know the quarterback's going to be for either team in that game. But as a Raiders fan, just hope Chicago keeps the same ineptitude on offense (laughs) that they've shown in every game except against the commanders. Uh, As for the Patriots, they got Buffalo next. And and, the game's at home, and that's the only good thing I can say for New England there. So... Good
1: luck with that, England. Yeah, who would have thought Raiders 3-3 three and three, uh, six games into the week <laughs> after the start they had. Um, I was shocked to see Hoyer coming in, not O'Connell, especially since they started O'Connell. Um, so that was weird. Um, but anyway, Hoyer came in, made some nice passes. Uh, nice to see Myers uh, getting just... Ever since that one week he had to take off because of injury, like when he came back, just filled right back into what he was doing. Uh, being the best receiver on the team, even though you all got Devontae Adams, which is just a weird thing to say. Uh, again, Devontae Adams is the best receiver on the team. I don't want anyone thinking I think Jacoby Myers is better than him. But uh, Devontae grabs those double teams and leaves Jacoby to have to just beat one on ones essentially, and he's doing it. And he's been doing it all year. Um, Michael Mayer, you know, like you said, best game of his young career. Um, he got the targets finally, and he and he and he did, and you know he had, he did he made the most of his opportunities when he, when, he, when he was thrown to him. So that was nice to see. Um, Josh Jacobs still got five targets in this game, and we've talked about this. I don't know why he's getting so many targets this year. Um, didn't make as many catches in this one, but still getting a bunch of uh, targets. And a play that um, just goes to show me that. <clears throat> There's something happening with Vegas and Hunter Renfro. Before Renfro got hurt, and he's still young. I know people think he's old, but he's still young. Um, he was your best receiver. He was a slot guy. You know, and Everyone thought with uh, McDaniels coming over and what he did with Wes Welker and Julian Edelman and all that, that Renfro would fill right into that white slot receiver role. And um, DeAndre Carter had a pass. Hit his hands, dropped it, would have been a first down, which Renfro makes that catch. Uh, I don't know if he has the separation that Carter had, but um, if he did, he's making that catch, and I just don't know why he's not playing, so um, that's kind of interesting to me. Um, Don't know if there's been a falling out between him and the coaching staff or what's going on, but uh, hopefully, if that's the case, they'll free him and let him go somewhere else and play somewhere else and do something else, because... The fact that they're not playing him at all is is a kind of a weird situation. Um, Daniel Carlson got to do what he does best in the Derek Carr era, and he got to kick four field goals this this week and made all of them. So, um, back to back to typical Raiders behavior. <clears throat> um, yeah, interesting to see what's going on in New England. They're one in five. Um, you know, they got the Patriots at home next week, and we know Belichick still wants that 300th win. Don't know if he benches Mac Jones for that game, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they're 1-6, 1-7, 1-8. Will Malik Cunningham get more looks like you've already talked about? Um, You know, where does this team go? Do they start trading some people like Ezekiel Elliott before the trade deadline? Uh, You only have about two more weeks for that to hit. Um, You know... Kendrick Bourne had 11 targets in this game, 10 catches for 89 yards, which 8.9 yards per catch is terrible uh, in the NFL. But, hey, he, he made catches, and that's what uh, New England hasn't been doing in the past couple of games. There's been no offense for this team. So uh, you talked about New England shooting themselves in the foot. That happened a lot. Um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott touchdown, which wasn't a touchdown. You know, that was one of the biggest plays uh, for it to happen on. Um, and then the safety to end the game is just a terrible way to end, the, end a football game. Uh, but that's just the way the Patriots season has been going. Um, not too many great things, again, from this game. Uh, just just bad football games all all around, Julius. This was just bad football games this entire week. Uh, again, the Raiders got to be happy. They have a negative 31-point differential, but uh, are 3-3. Three and three. So you will take a 500 record any way you could get it. I wish... The Giants were at five hundred at this point, so um, i i I would not be mad at being three and three right now, especially being second in the division only behind the chiefs uh, moving over to another division game you had Arizona going to l a to face the Rams and which was another this was the Arizona team we thought we were getting to start the season Julius this is where this game kind of showed us you know who we thought we would be getting uh out of Arizona. You know, just to start the season. Um, Dobbs, 21 for 41 with a pick, 235 yards. Uh, We knew with Connor getting hurt, the running game would kind of suffer. Again, Dobbs led the team in rushing yards. Um, But Kyron Williams, man, 20 carries, 158 yards. uh, In a game where Stafford didn't have to do much, uh, Cooper Cup proved why he is the triple count receiver. Uh, Why he is still not to be forgotten when people are naming best receivers in the league. Uh, Second game back, seven catches, 148 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Big catch after big catch when they needed it. We know Stafford's going to target him. We know Stafford's going to look his way. Um, And and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Again, Kyron Williams, huge game uh, rushing. He unfortunately gets hurt. So does Ronnie Rivers. So... Los Angeles next week is going to be either playing Zach Evans, uh, their, their rookie, and who else they're picking up, I'm not sure, but uh, they trade away Cam Akers, and all their, all their running backs are hurt now. So it um, looks like Zach Evans is going to be thrust into that starting role. Um, <clears throat> and for people who don't know him, he's a, he was their sixth-round pick out of Ole Miss uh, this year. So he looks like he's going to be getting the starting uh, running back gig next week. Um, so, you know, they get the Steelers, uh, we'll see what happens. But Kyron Williams was having a great, great season, you know, for kind of being a part-time running back, uh, until the Cam Akers trade, um, you know, he was drafted last year in the fifth round and he was, again, having a pretty good season, uh, that people probably didn't see coming, uh, again, he had, he had six touchdowns on the year, 456 yards rushing, so... Um just stinks to see people get hurt you know, when they're finally getting their chance. Uh, but we're also kind of waiting for this. Again, Stafford only completed 15 passes, only threw it 24 times. They didn't really do much to win this game. But Puka, uh, he got seven targets, only four catches for 26 yards. So we were wondering how it was going to look when Cooper got back, and they kind of made it work last week. Um, and Cooper had a great first half last week, like we talked about, they kind of faded in the second half, and that's where Puka got his shot. Uh, in this game, it was all Cooper Cup. Um, again, he had more than half of Matthew Stafford's 226. He had 148. So, um, yeah, but this was a no contest, man. This is this is the Arizona team we thought we were getting. This is their first game where they just didn't really even compete. Uh, zero points in the second half. Uh, nine points in total. Uh, the Rams get to three and three. Um, again, playing a little bit better than we thought they would. Aaron Donald was doing normal Aaron Donald things, two quarterbacks hits, three tackles for losses. Um, you know, so you know, this was a four field goals made for Brett Maher in this game, so uh and again Arizona didn't score a touchdown, they got three field goals from Matt Prater. But um yeah, man, this another bad game, uh, but luckily it wasn't a primetime game. So if you didn't want to watch it, you didn't have to. But again, the main storyline of this one is Kyron Williams getting hurt after having a huge game. <clears throat> and Cooper Cup is official, officially back, Julia. Seven catches, 148 yards, and a touchdown in
0: this one. And by the way, the two games that Cooper Cup has played since he came off the injured list, that's 15 catches for 266 yards for Cup in two games. So when you have that conversation, like you said, when you have that conversation for best wide receiver in the league, please remember Cooper Cup because he's got as good of a case as anybody for being the best wide receiver in football. I will say this about the Cardinals. They do continue to be feisty. It's just that it's not for an entire game. The Cardinals had the lead in this game at halftime, 9-6. And if NFL games were two quarters long, the Cardinals might be a Super Bowl contender. They just don't have it in the second half. So this game was interesting for a little while. Uh, First drive of the game, it looked like Marquise Brown had broken open for a touchdown. Uh, Josh Dobbs put the ball on the money, and Akello Witherspoon came back and made a play, knocked that ball down. And I just thought that play, you could say, changed the course of this game on the first uh, drive of the game. If that's a touchdown for Arizona, we might be seeing a different team the rest of the game. But well, Witherspoon knocks that down. He was, looking, he was looking around afterwards like, where's my help? But he was able to recover. Again, on Marquise Brown, it was pretty fast. And I just thought that that play, which doesn't show up as much in the box score, just the pass defense, that play was huge for the Rams. Now for the for the Rams, for their first scoring drive, there was a 37-yard catch by Cup where he's matched up against Kaiser White. And yo, what are we doing? What are we doing? How's a linebacker? And I know Kaiser White, I've talked about how productive he's been. He's a team captain. He's a tone setter. He's all these things. You brought him in from Philadelphia for everything he's done for this team. He can't cover Cooper Cup. Why is he on him one-on-one with no help? It's Again, these coaches, and I'm going to talk about it more in this game later, these coaches, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, the, the Cardinals, they were able to get a field goal off of an Austin Trammell fumbled punt return. And Trammell, he got lit up on the play. He got hit low and then piled driven into the ground by a second guy. So uh, it was a rough-looking play for him. But fortunately, Trammell did get up because it looked like he went head first into the ground. So uh, you're concerned for a second, but that fumble set up in the Arizona Cardinals field goal again. With a situation like that, you'd like to score a touchdown in that scenario, but they had to settle for a field goal. But again, the Cardinals played a strong half of football uh, outside of, again, having random guys on Cooper Cup. So at the end of the first half, uh, Cup has a long catch that sets up a field goal. And then in the first possession in the second half, Cooper Cup scores a touchdown. Both of those plays happened against Keitrell Clark one-on-one. Keytrail Clark is a rookie six-round pick who has struggled throughout the season. Why is he one-on-one with Cooper Cup? I just don't understand what these coaches are doing. And, again, as a Raiders fan, I watched Devontae Adams get double-teamed every play, every game, it seems like. And yet, again, Tyron Kill's going one-on-one by himself. Uh, Cooper Cup is going one-on-one against rookies and linebackers. It makes no sense as to what these teams are doing. So Cooper Cup had a big game in large part because he's Cooper Cup, and that's what he does. But the Cardinals certainly aided in his big game with who they were matching up against Cup. uh So even with all of this going on, Arizona started the fourth quarter in the red zone with a chance to tie the game. So this is what I'm saying. This game is competitive through three quarters. The final score stinks, but the, but the Cardinals hung in there for three quarters. But... In that red zone possession, Josh Dobbs throws a pass behind Zach Ertz. It gets intercepted by Christian Roseboom, and that is the first career interception for him. So, again, everybody's just eating for the first time or or having some type of first in their career this weekend. So, congratulations to Christian Roseboom for his first interception. Uh, Speaking of first, there was another first in the fourth quarter, Byron Young. A rookie pass rusher for the Rams. He got his first career forced fumble to create another turnover. So uh, Josh Jobs got a little loose with the football in the fourth quarter. And again, that helped put the game away and made the score look worse than what it was. But for three quarters, the Cardinals hung in there uh, with their defense stepping up outside of the terrible Cooper Cup matchups. Then we get to Kyron Williams. You talked about the big game he had, 158 rushing yards, 154. Four of those yards came in the second half. Kyron Williams did nothing in the first half of this game and still ended up with the 158 yards. Uh, the Cardinals, they, they just had no answer for him. You can see them wearing down as the game went on. You can see on the touchdown runaway, Kyron Williams finished strong at the goal line, landed on top of a defender, was able to squeeze the ball over the goal line. Kyron Williams really came at them in the second half of this game. So, like you said, it's unfortunate to see that he got hurt in this game uh, because he was he was doing basically historic-level things in the second half of this game. Uh, again, I have to talk about one thing I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing quarterbacks leading your team in rushing. And we know that the Cardinals are without James Conner. And again, he's their offensive tone setter. He's the guy that brings the physical presence to an offense that has a lot of undersized fast guys. Without James Conner, you leading rusher, was Josh Dobbs with 47 yards, 24 of those came on one run on the first possession of the game. So while you have Kyron Williams out here tearing you up in the second half in the run game, the Cardinals can't run the ball at all outside of their quarterback. That's the recipe for disaster more often than not. So the Cardinals, the first half goats, they go to Seattle next week. Again, who knows? The Cardinals might be up at halftime in that game, but they're not going to win. Uh, the Rams, they get the Steelers coming off of them by. Again, who knows what their running back situation is. Uh, That's going to be an interesting game in L.A. I'm looking forward to seeing that one, kind of a matchup with two teams where you don't know what they look like week to week, but both teams can be really good on the defensive end. So I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, a physical matchup there. Getting to another surprising result this weekend, another bit of a strange result this weekend, the New York Jets. Knock the Eagles out of the ranks of the unbeaten with a 20-14 to win. And just like I talked about with the San Francisco-Cleveland game, you're looking at the injury report for this game. You're looking at who's missing for the Jets. Ahmad Gardner is out. DJ Reed is out. So you're out your top two corners. We already know Elijah Vera Tucker is out and on the injured list with an Achilles. So a beat-up offensive line that wasn't good when fully healthy, a secondary that's beat up going against one of the best wide receiver doors in the league, and again, a beat-up offensive line going up against one of the deeper defensive lines in the league. All of that screams mismatch. And yet, we see how this game played out. So Philadelphia, probably not in their best interest, came out throwing the ball. And you're not too shocked to see that because, again, the Jets are without their starting two corners. But a lot of the passes went to DeAndre Swift. So you start out throwing the ball but not really attacking the corners. I thought that was a strange approach to the game. So DeAndre Swift comes away from this game with a season high in receptions and targets. I'm, again, not sure what's up with that. Why Swift drew 10 targets. But uh, that was the approach that the Eagles had in this game. Uh, scoring drives to start the game for the Eagles. A 19-play drive. You don't see too many of those. Uh, Jalen Hurts runs the ball in, again, running through traffic to get the ball in, going through contact. He barely got the ball into the end zone. I had to see the replay from about 12 different angles before I accepted that it was even a touchdown. Uh, But it gave the Eagles a lead. And again, just like in the 49ers game, you, you watch that first drive, you see them go down the field and score a touchdown right away, and you're thinking, okay, this is easy money. But then the turnovers start. Now, the first interception that Jalen Hurts threw, it was a good pass. It was what it was supposed to do. It was a dump off to Dallas Goddard. It was a good play. But Jermaine Johnson the second, came in, knocked the ball out of Goddard's hands. And Quentin Williams, who, again, got to give him credit because he pursued the play. Had he just gave up after rushing the passer, he wouldn't have been there. But he pursued the play. And as a result, he was in position to go intercept the ball off an of deflection. Now, a lot of people talking about, oh, Jalen Hurts had three interceptions. He had three interceptions. But that first one is kind of a, a fluke play, kind of a – Brilliant play by the defense, but it wasn't a bad throw or a bad decision. Uh, The Giants weren't able to capitalize on on that, though, because they go for a fourth and five, and on fourth and five, they complete a four-yard pass on the sideline. That won't work. So I'd like to see the Jets call a better play if they are going to, in fact, go for a fourth and five in the first quarter. Uh, Philadelphia, right after that, they went for a quick strike touchdown. They went to A.J. Brown deep. And uh, Jalen Hurts just uh, just overthrew it. That was a, that was a miss. Uh, the Eagles did score on that drive though, uh, with uh, DeAndre Swift. Again, we talked about his involvement in the passing game. He got a touchdown on the on a pass. So, you know, the Eagles are up 14-6. You think they're in good shape? They're in position to add to it. But uh, at the end of the fact, because he got a rough the passer calls towards the end of the first half on Quentin Williams, it looked like you were setting up to add to the 14-6 lead, but uh, then another DeAndre Swift pass. Uh, This time it results in a C.J. Mosley punch-out. Again, a brilliant play by him. Uh, The Jets recover that instead of the Eagles scoring at the end of the half, it's the Jets who get a field goal at the end of the half. So a game that could have easily been 17-6, 21-6 at halftime, is now 14-9 because C.J. Mosley made a big play. You get to the second half of this game, Devontae Smith had a wide-open, I mean wide-open drop. And again, people will blame Hurts. That's fine. But uh, Devontae Smith, uh, normally reliable hands. He was wide-open. Definitely would have got them in the field goal range. Maybe Devontae Smith scores. That's how open he was in the middle of the field on a deep cross. But he drops the ball. The next play, Bryce Huff comes in and gets a sack to knock. Uh, to deny that drive and knock the Eagles out of any type of range to do anything. Bryce Huff, by the way, having a very underrated season as a pass rusher. And he was able to take advantage of Jack, Jack Driscoll, who was filling in for Lane Johnson. So once you lost Lane Johnson, that was huge to the offense. All of a sudden, Bryce Huff begins having a good season. He becomes a bigger factor because now Jack Driscoll can't block Bryce Huff. Uh, you look at the second Hurts interception of the game. Hertz's arm got hit again. Jermaine Johnson II is the one who was there uh, to hit Hertz's arm. That caused basically Hurts to throw a duck, and that was an easy interception for Bryce Hall. So in two interceptions, it's because Jermaine Johnson II made a play. He deserves two assists for those interceptions. Uh, but again, stuff that won't necessarily show up in the box score, but Jermaine Johnson II, he made those first two interceptions happen. Uh, key moment of the game, the Eagles are up 14 12 you're in the red zone, they come up short. Jake Elliott misses a 37-yard field goal, uncharacteristic. He's kicked a lot of field goals this year, and he's been pretty reliable. But he missed a 37-yarder, well within his range, uh, so that keeps the score within a field goal. And again, if he makes the field goal, it's 17-12, still one possession. But psychologically, only needing a field goal as opposed to needing a touchdown, it makes a huge difference. So now you got a 14-12 game. Under two minutes, the Eagles get the ball back. This is where it hurts. There was a third interception, and this one was his fault. It was a flat-footed throw, didn't step into it at all. Terrible decision. Tony Adams is right there. He hurts, throws the ball straight to Tony Adams, and not just throws it to him, but throws it to him in stride so that Adams can take the ball almost to the end zone. So now you're in a position where you have to allow the Jets to score a touchdown just to get the ball back. Reese Hall gets that touchdown. That's the only time that the, the Jets were able to convert a red zone opportunity for a touchdown, one that was literally gifted to him. But it gave the Eagles one more chance. And for whatever reason, on 4th and 10, Jalen Hurts just just launched a deep throw about 40 yards down the field in the triple coverage. Not sure what that was about. 4th and 10, you can throw a 12-yard pass. You don't have to throw it short of the sticks like the Jets did earlier, but you don't have to throw it 40 yards down the field. So didn't like how Hurts ended the game. Those last two throws in particular, the interception and that 4th and 10 throw, I really didn't like those. Uh, more notes on Jalen Hurts. Again, I don't like quarterbacks leading your team in rushing. Jalen Hurts, 47 rushing yards in this game. DeAndre Swift, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, all combined for 33 rushing yards. Why are there so many designed runs for Jalen Hurts, and especially designed runs in the middle of the defense? Why do you even have running backs? I don't know why this team signed Rashad Penny. They don't use him at all. And every run that Jalen Hurts has looks like it should be a Rashad Penny run. It should be a run for a bigger running back who can go between the tabs. That shouldn't be Hurts. So I just I don't like the way they do this. And especially after seeing Hurts get injured at the end of last season, I just don't like seeing the Eagles continue to insist on giving Hurts so many carries and so many dangerous carries, not just the brotherly shove carries, but, again, going right at the heart of the defense. Um, on a positive note for the Eagles, Hassan Reddick, he continues to pile up sacks, two-and-a-half sacks in this game. He has five and a half sacks in three games without his cast. So he's back. For the Eagles. That's the one thing you can look at from this game and say we're proud of that. Uh, the rest, this has to feel like a game that got away from Philadelphia. Again, the Jets didn't play great in this game. They just took advantage of opportunities. Again, guys like Jermaine Johnson, guys like Quentin Williams, they made plays. But a lot of these were just gifts given to them by the Eagles. First loss for the Eagles. You got Miami coming up next. You got to clean this up. I think you should be able to score on that defense but you can't help Miami's defense out the way you help the Jets' defense out. As for the Jets, 2 for 11 on third downs. One for four in the red zone. And, again, that one was just the touchdown that the Eagles let you have so to get the ball back. Nine penalties. When you have those stats, you should lose 100 games out of 100 in the NFL. But you win. Why? Plus four takeaway margin. So, again, the most important stat in football, turnover margin. The Jets win that by four. If they win the game. It's that simple. So they gotta feel real good. You talk about the Raiders feeling good at three and three. The Jets without Aaron Rodgers to be three and three at this point, they gotta feel great.
1: <clears throat> yeah, but they only have a minus six point differential. You all have a minus thirty one. So <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
1: great job, great job. Uh, they do have to feel be feeling great at three and three because Zach Wilson is no good. The only thing I can think of how he's won their last two games. Uh, against Mahomes and, and uh well he played good against Mahomes and and won this game against Hertz because uh Donna Kelsey was there. So you know he we know how he plays in front of mom. So uh but no, um this game was just an ugly game as we talked about. The Eagles didn't score at all in the second half. Uh you pretty much touched on everything. I'm not gonna sit here and spend too much time on it. Um Brees Hall getting involved in the passing game, I think, is going to be uh, unlock another level to his game. Uh, in a game where he was pretty much shut down in the running game all, all day, uh, him getting five receptions for 54 yards, I think, is is huge. Uh, Garrett Wilson, main, main person being targeted all game, 12 targets, 8 catches. Um, we saw drop passes on both teams. Uh, again, Devontae Smith uh he got targeted like we said we wanted to see him get more targets and that one drop pass was just bad everyone has bad games again though you can't go from getting three targets for two straight weeks to 11 in a game like it's just uh it's it's hard to kind of get consistency when you, when when that happens but he needs to be better and he said that after the game he said i just need to catch the ball essentially i'm not gonna say the words he said um yeah, again, just like we talked about with the Forty ers I think this is a big loss for the Eagles in the sense that um, <clears> that they, they they needed to be—I don't want to say humbled—but a loss to a team where you feel like you should have definitely beat them and easily beat them, uh, I think, is going to help them out down the road, especially since <clears throat> you know. They probably should have won this game. You turn it over four times, you're not going to win a lot of games in the NFL. And like you said, they still had a chance to win this game, even with the four turnovers. Um, how the Jets are 3-3 three and three is beyond me. Zach Wilson looked like regular Zach Wilson once again. Um, it, it, it just, this defense is is out of control. So I would have loved to see this team with Aaron Rodgers at the court, but I think Aaron Rodgers would have, he most likely would have played better than Zach Wilson. We don't know, but I would have just liked to see them with someone other than Zach Wilson as their quarterback, just to see where they would have been at with some of these other other teams. But, I mean, they've played the last two games real tough, man. I mean, they played the Chiefs tough, and then they beat the Eagles in this one. So, uh, definitely a credit to that defense. Um, definitely uh, putting up a good fight and and all that stuff. So... Uh, can't be too mad at at the at the Jets when they're winning. Uh, again, all the credit for me is going to the defense. Zach Wilson did make some plays here and there, but for the most part, he looks like he normally does. And then the Jets just being at three and three at this point after losing Aaron Rodgers on the third snap of the season is just really really impressive. Um, I'll let you do the Lions Buccaneers first, so I can get to the Sunday night game after that.
0: Uh, Definitely looking forward to that Sunday night talk. Getting to the Detroit Lions who are now 5-1 by the way. Detroit Lions with a 20-6 win in Tampa against the Buccaneers. This game had an interesting start to it. Uh, Mike Evans early in the game gets wide open. And when I say wide open, I'm talking about defense forgot he was on the field wide open. It looks like He's going to have a 92-yard touchdown. Isaiah Bugs, an interior defensive lineman for the Lions, he gets his hand up, fortunately, because if he doesn't, it, the play's over. He tips the ball in the air. Will Harris, who is filling in for the injury Brian Branch, he comes up with the interception. So what should have been a 92-yard touchdown turns into a turnover. Now, credit the Buccaneers. Because again, this, this play happened inside their own 10-yard line. So the Buccaneers' defense comes in and gets a stop, holds Detroit to a field goal. So that was a great stop by them. Uh, This game was a slow start by both offenses, but I I would credit the defenses. The defenses made more plays. This wasn't necessarily about offensive futility like a lot of these other games were. Not that the offenses were sharp early, but the defenses came through. Uh, There was a play in this game where Amon Ross St. Brown catches a touchdown. He's going across the field, across the field, across the field. And Craig Reynolds comes in with a monster hit on Carlton Davis. A monster legal hit. You don't get to see those often anymore. And that was the play that broke a 3-3 tie. And I thought that opened the game up. It felt like when the game was 3-3, whoever broke through and got a touchdown first was going to win. And Detroit got that touchdown. Now, Mayfield did have a chance to respond with a touchdown of his own. He could have hit Trey Palmer deep for a 60-yard-plus touchdown touchdown. But he just, he just missed it. And uh, later in the game, in the fourth quarter, he missed Palmer again deep. So uh, that's a connection that Mayfield have to work on. There are some opportunities, certainly, for Trey Palmer. You drafted him to be a downfield threat. He did his job, got open downfield. Uh, but uh, just wasn't able to connect. Missed opportunities. That helped cost the Buccaneers this game. Uh, speaking of big plays down the field, Jamison Williams. This is his second game back. From suspension this year, didn't do a whole lot in the first game, uh, was given a little more opportunity in this game, and he came through with his first big play of the season. They gave him a chance to go deep. He had to turn around a couple times to find the ball, but I give him credit for tracking the ball at the last second and coming down with the catch for a touchdown. That pushed the lead out to 17-6, and in a game that was flowing like this, uh, 17-6, to felt like an insurmountable lead. Uh, late in this game, you know, I, I Talk trash about the refs a lot, but I want to give them credit when they do something right. Late in this game, Tracy Walker III was flagged for a hard hit on Chris God. It was a hard hit. It was one of those hits where the home crowd was like, ooh, but it was totally legal. Flag was thrown. Refs got together. They realized, yeah, it was a hard hit, but it was a clean hit. They took the penalty away. Thank you for getting one right. Let's see that more often. So, Detroit gets a win. Detroit's defense came through in this game. Bad news for Detroit, David Montgomery gets hurt in this game. David Montgomery, who he's not quite Christian McCaffrey, but he's been scoring touchdowns basically in every game. Uh, So he's a big loss, especially when you're already dealing with an entry to Jameer Gibbs. So now you're down to Craig Reynolds if that hamstring continues to be an issue. Uh, They've already said Montgomery's expected to miss time with this rib cartilage issue. So uh, we'll see how that changes the offense. With Montgomery getting hurt in this game, no Detroit—I mean, no, no player in this game for either team ran the ball for thirty yards. So both rushing attacks struggled in this game. Uh, again, David Montgomery, Craig Reynolds, those two combined for sixteen carries for twenty-nine yards. I have to credit Tampa's defensive front—they've been shutting guys down in the run game all year, which is what you've come to expect from this defense, of course, led by Big Vita Vea. You're just not going to move him out of the middle of the field. So if you're going to try to run at him, good luck. Detroit with David Montgomery, with Craig Reynolds. They're going to run downhill. Vita Vea stood tall the entire time. Made plays, stopped guys. So credit to Tampa. On the Tampa side, Rashad White led the team with 26 yards rushing. And I'll credit Tampa Bay again. Because Tampa Bay can't run the ball to save their lives. The Buccaneers last year. Were one of the worst rushing teams you'll ever see, ranked dead last in the league in darts per carry, and for most of the season, were historically bad running the football. This year, so far, their rushing average per carry is even worse than last year when they were dead last in the league. So this team absolutely can't figure out how to run the ball. They need help on the interior of that offensive line. They can't get a push. And you're asking Rashad Wright to basically run old brick wall every time he gets a carry and you don't run outside. So uh, Tampa Bay is going to have to figure that out. they won three out of their first four games without a run game, basically. But if you're going to be serious about making a little bit of noise in the NFC, you got to run the ball better than you did in this game. The good news for Tampa Bay, Kalijah Kansi, he's back. He got hurt in the first game. If you remember, Kalaja Kansi was one of my absolute favorite players in the draft this year. He got a sack, his, his, first, his first sack, so again, another first. I uh, expect him, especially playing next to Vita Vea, who's going to occupy multiple blockers. Expect Hansi to make plays in the backfield often in the run game and in the pass game. He did that this game, uh, playing a sizable role for somebody who was just coming back from injury. And I just want to see him continue to grow in this defense. Uh, for Detroit, Oman Ross St. Brown, career high, 12 receptions in this game, 124 yards, and that touchdown that I mentioned earlier. That's fresh off of missing last week's game from the injury. So, He's back in, at 100%. He's going to have to be bigger, especially if you're going to be missing Montgomery, maybe Gibbs for more time. Uh, one thing this game came down to was third downs. And third down situations in this game, the Detroit Lions were 9 for 16, oftentimes going to a Ross St. Brown. And Tampa Bay was 2 for 12, oftentimes going to nobody. So that was the difference in this game for me along with the fact that Detroit was able to hit a couple big plays and Tampa missed a couple of big play opportunities. One more note for the Lions, they are 3-0 against the NFC South. So if they were in that division, they'd basically pretty much be over. Uh, but they're not playing an NFC South team next week. They're playing Baltimore. That's a game I'm really looking forward to seeing. Uh, Baltimore is going to have to be more offensively aggressive against this improved Lions defense. Uh, but Detroit, they, they're facing a Baltimore defense that's overperforming so far as well. So that's going to be an interesting clash of two defenses that may be playing a little bit higher than some people expected them to. As for the Bucs, they're playing Atlanta next week. They can generate enough offense to beat Atlanta. So that's going to be an interesting game. There's major implications because the entire division lost. The NFC South definitely NFC South this week. So everybody has an opportunity next week to, to get back in it except Carolina. Um, and Tampa Bay Atlanta, that's going to be huge for divisional purposes. So that's going to be a fun game to check out. As
1: I talked about with things coming back to the mean, um, Baker Mayfield looked like what Baker Mayfield has looked like his entire career in the NFL. So after playing pretty good football for the first few weeks, you know, this looked like a typical Baker Mayfield game where inaccurate, as you, you talked about the missed throws, um, getting the ball batted down when Mike Evans is wide open, uh, missing Trey Palmer, um, you know, just things that, you know, happened when he had Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, things that, you know, just so we've seen that Baker. Uh, I don't know if that's going to continue throughout the season. I don't know if that's just Detroit having a much improved defense, Um But both, as you talked about, both teams in this game had no run games. Uh, Montgomery getting hurt is, is, I think, huge for Detroit because, as you said, he was getting a lot of touchdowns for them and definitely was their tone setter uh, in the run game. So, uh, we both love Detroit's offensive line. Uh, We think they're one of the best units, if not the best unit in football. Um, uh, But, no offense to Craig Reynolds, he's not Dave Montgomery or Jameer Gibbs, so, Uh, We'll see how this impacts their run game. Um, I I am a little worried about that because, again, uh, Montgomery had six touchdowns on the season. It was definitely a tone setter for them. Um, As you like to call him, the goat, Jared Goff, um, just another great game for him. Um glad to see him. He was the scapegoat for so many years with the with LA with the Rams. you know, he's the reason they're not winning the Super Bowl, and I know that the Rams still won a Super Bowl with Stafford as quarterback. Again, we've talked about all the things that had to happen for them to become Super Bowl champions. Uh the 49ers, Tart dropping a gifted interception into his lap, that sort have sealed that game, et cetera, et cetera. So good to see Goff, uh, who was also ban- benched for Wofford at one point. Um Showing up and, and 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 really showing that he is a good to not if not great quarterback in in this in the NFL. So I'm um, glad to see that Alaric St. Brown just continues to to show up and, and show that he's the number one wide receiver with Montgomery and Gibbs being hurt. I want to see Jameson Williams uh, get more involved in the offense now as well. Uh, we know Laporte has been been balling. We know Alaric St. Brown. Um, you know, Josh Reynolds and Kalief Raymond have made catches here and there and, and have, have made some big, like, a big catch here and there. But I really want to see Alan Ross around Jameson Williams, Laporta, what they're doing on the field together, um, especially with, you know, their running game probably not going to be uh, doing too much until Montgomery or Gibbs gets back. Um, you talked about it. Tampa Bay's offense was just not there tonight. Their defense has been balling all year. I know they've only played five games, but they've only given up 88 points. Uh, that's how they've been winning their games is on the defensive end uh, because they've only scored 90 points. So um, they haven't really been outscoring too many teams. Uh, again, they're, they're lucky they're in the NFC South because that three and two, they've already had their bye. Uh Atlanta three and three, New Orleans three and three, and then Carolina zero oh, six. So this division is wide open. And as you talked about, they have the Falcons at home next week. Uh, it's going to be a huge game for obviously these playoff implications and, and the standings. So, um, and, and like you said, good news for Detroit, even though they're not in the NFC South, they're in the NFC North where it might be even worse. Cause no team is at 500 besides them. You got Green Bay at two and three Minnesota So at two and four and Chicago at one and five. So, uh, Detroit might be running away with this division already, even though they're not in the South and the NFC North is looking pretty, uh, pitiful so far, but got to see what Baker can do. Um, next week against the Falcons defense and see if this game was kind of like an anomaly or if it's going to be him kind of trending back towards his mean. Moving on to the Sunday night game, um, I was going to start the podcast off with this, but I didn't want to go on a ranch to start the podcast, but I'm blowing the whistle on NFL referees, uh, I'm blowing the whistle on Tyrod Taylor thinking he's at Virginia Tech and calling all the Bulls with 10 seconds and no timeouts. Um, I'm blowing the whistle on everybody. The, the, the The officiating in the NFL, again, I know you have different refs for each game, but the inconsistency from game to game or player to player, Julius, you were talking about this and how Hamilton was ejected and, uh, Last week, the guy who hit um, Herbert going out of bounds was ejected, which you don't see most guys getting ejected for that since Herbert was still technically inbounds when he got hit or was one step out of bounds, whatever it was. It wasn't like he was seven steps out of bounds. Um, it's just awful. you know. There, there was the uh, penalty on Evan Neal for illegal man downfield when he was engaged with the blocker. He was engaged in his block. He It doesn't happen often with him. He hasn't played well. But he beat his man so badly and blocked him down the field. That's not a penalty. And how many times during this broadcast did the dude who's in the booth with them, who was a former official or he like works for New York or whatever he is, had to say, yeah, the Giants got screwed on that one. That wasn't a penalty. Oh, that should have been a penalty on the Bills right there. Uh, yeah, that's definitely, a, like, you shouldn't have that many costly penalties Or no calls that, you know, pretty much impact the game. The Giants aren't a big play offense. We hit a 48-yard pass to Darius Slayton that got called back for a legal man downfield. But he was only downfield because he won on his block. He beat his guy so badly, he pushed his man three yards down the field. So, and he didn't keep running. After they disengaged, he just sat there. Which, according to the rules, is not a legal man downfield. So, upset about that. Um, Again, the Giants defense had their best game of the season. Uh, I didn't think we were going to win this game, but then through three quarters we had given up zero points. You kind of get your hopes up as a fan that are we going to steal one in a week where a lot of games were stolen. And, um, you know, Tyler Bass missed two field goals in this game, so you're thinking we have a chance. Everything was going wrong for the Bills. Um, Josh Allen threw a a pick where – O- Okereke had his best game of the season for us. He tipped it. Uh, McFadden intercepted it. Um, he had a forced fumble as well. Um, he, again, our defense just played lights out. Um, <clears throat> our offense was our offense was terrible as it normally is, but again, it doesn't help whenever you're getting big plays called back. Um Wondell Robinson starting to get involved in the offense. You know what makes me mad, though, Joyce? Again, I talked about this with like Malik Willis. I talked about this with Gardner Minshew. Why was the offense that was called for Tyrod Taylor completely different than the offense that they call for Daniel Jones? And during the broadcast, they were like, look at this great coaching. They're moving Tyrod Taylor around because they, have, they know they have no offensive linemen. We didn't have any offensive linemen when Daniel Jones was playing. Why are we doing seven-step seven drop-back passes and trying to hit 80-yard bombs just because Daniel Jones is in the game, why are we not moving the pirate? Right? Why are we not calling quicker passing play? Like, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't know if they want Daniel Jones to fail because they didn't want to give him the contract, but they did. I just don't, I don't understand it. You watch the game, and you're just like, what? why was this offense called for Tyrod Taylor and not Daniel Jones? When we've seen Daniel Jones getting sacked and getting rocked every week, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um... Saquon stats look good, but he was bottled up for, except for a couple big run plays. Um, again, this game, I don't want to say it came down to halftime and and the the horrible play call, um, but we could have been up nine nothing going into halftime, which is better than six nothing as we saw, um, and again. Dayball screaming on the sideline at his at his offensive coordinator, then screaming at Tyrod Taylor when he came off the field goes to show me that a run play was not called. Um, I get we have Saquon, but the Bills' defense is good. They're, they're one of the best defenses in the league. We haven't been running on them all game. We have ten seconds left. You have to throw the ball there. You have to come away with a field goal when you're at the one yard line, at minimum before halftime. So, again, bad teams find ways to lose joints. We talk about this all the time. This was an epic failure. Um, again, backup quarterback for a reason. Uh, you cannot make the audible to the run there. Um, Josh Allen had one of his, you know, bad games. He, he did not do well at all in this game. He actually could have put this game away before us having a chance to get a touchdown on the one-yard line and and completely missed Dawson Knox. I don't want to say completely, but if you watch the play, Dawson Knox was wide open. It was a great play call, and and Josh just short-armed him. Um, It was just confusing. I felt like the Bills kept trying to make Josh Allen get a bigger game than what was needed because every time they ran the ball, they were carving up the Giants' defense. But when they tried to pass it, we actually did decent except for Um, the Deontay Hardy touchdown pissed me off because the corner was running with him then just decided that his controller got unplugged once he went back the other way. Don't understand that one at all. And then the Quentin Morris touchdown really pisses me off because I understand we have injuries at corner, but what was that guy doing? Quentin Morris is not fast by any means. He comes out of his break, and the corner just kind of like, Walks to like try to follow him. I'm just, I just didn't know what was going on. I don't know. I mean, it was a great pass by Josh Allen. Don't get me wrong. It was a great pass. You know, threw it right in between the coverage, but that should not have been a touchdown by any means. Um, but yeah, the Bills should have stuck to the rushing game because they were carving us up all. And I felt like they were just trying to prove Josh Allen could beat us, which eventually he did. <clears throat> um, but again, Stephon Diggs, huge game, 10 catches, 100 yards. Um, he had 16 targets, and Josh Josh Allen threw 30 times and only completed 19 passes. Again, Diggs, 10 of those receptions out of those 19 completions, Diggs, 169 yard passing, 100 yards to Diggs. So, um, it was not a good night for the Bills. They should have lost this game. Uh, again, their defense came up big, but it was a clear hold in the end zone on that untimed down after the pass interference. I don't know if the refs didn't want to call two flags back-to-back at the end of the game, George. I don't know if they wanted to give him another untimed down. But you have to make that call. It wasn't even like it, there was any wiggle room. This man is, you can see it as a clear jersey pull. He almost pulled his shoulder pad out of his jersey. And Waller could not get his second hand up from where he was being held. So I feel like you have to you make that call. Um, just a terrible call. No call. Uh, a lot of bad officiating. Bad officiating around the league. It's not just in this game. I don't want to make it seem like I'm a upset Giants fan by any means. But, again, I, I don't like officials deciding games. And the no call also decided the game, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would have rather it been a clean pass breakup. Giants suck. They don't get the touchdown. But the fact that it was a clear hold, didn't even give the guy a chance to get his left arm up. Um, to make a two-handed catch, uh, that's that's a penalty, so it needs to be called, um, again, Buffalo did everything in their power to lose this game, and because the Giants are so bad, they ended up losing this game, you can't go into halftime not kicking that field goal, uh, again though, it would have been 12-14, to 14, so again, that didn't cost us the game, but Um, and again, we shouldn't even have had that final drive because Dawson Knox should have caught the ball and it should have been game over, Uh, but it's just infuriating for your defense to put up a donut through three quarters and your offense can't get a touchdown. We're on the one-yard line twice, came up with zero points, Um, and so yeah, this is just the Giants' season in a nutshell. I didn't have any hope or expectations going into the game. Then, of course, they give it to you three quarters in, and, of course, they lose because they're the Giants. But if the defense can play like this the rest of the year, I'm hoping when the offensive line gets back, I'm assuming we're going to sign Justin Pugh. Uh, that was the funniest part. of the, That was my, my highlight of the game is when he was introducing himself. He said, fresh off the couch, uh, hilarious. <laughs> um, how he was our best offensive lineman after not playing for a year is beyond me. Um, I feel like they have to re-sign him and then hopefully Andrew Thomas will come back and our center will come back, John Michael Schmitz, Uh, and then hopefully we have some type of offensive line. Uh because Saquon's back, that makes a difference. Dale Jones gets back, maybe you can go in a little bit of run. We're not making the playoffs, but maybe you can string some wins together and have some hope for next year. But as of right now, this team is bad. Bad teams find ways to lose instead of finding ways to win. And even though Buffalo did everything wrong in this game, we still somehow came up on the losing end.
0: Uh, yeah, but I made my prediction that the Giants would take a step forward this year. This is the defense I had in mind. Now, granted, I thought the offense would look better, certainly. But uh, this, this was the defense I've been waiting to see. So it was a good sight to see that they at least can play like that for a game. Now, early in the game, it was... A bit comical to me. Uh, the, the Giants kind of came up with a new strategy for stopping deep balls. They just kept getting their feet tanked. So there's a couple times where Allen throws a couple of deep passes. They're probably accurate passes, but receivers tripped over uh, defenders' feet. And it's not a penalty. So if you, can, if you can pull that off every time, you'll never give up a pass. And that's what we saw the first couple possessions in the game, so I thought that was kind of entertaining. Uh, he was talking about Bobby Okierke and the impact he had this game. Uh, second possession of the game, he forced a, a Gabe Davis fumble, and Michael McFadden was there to recover. That gave the Giants a short field. Uh, Giants got inside the ten, like you said, they they were able to move the ball to some degree. Uh, but uh, your guy Justin Pugh, he he had some some struggles, and he had to he had to move inside to move outside. So it, was, it wasn't all on him, but uh, he surrendered a sack to Leonard Floyd. Then had a false start, so now you have a couple of ten, uh, negative plays that set up a field goal. And Leonard Floyd, quietly, as the, the Bills have needed this because they've been short-handed on defense. So for Leonard Floyd uh, to have at least one sack in four out of his six games, again, this is a guy who um, once upon a time was considered a pretty good pass rusher. we kind of forgotten about, but he's been needed to take a larger role with, you know, the injuries on the Bills' defense, and he's come through so far. Uh, a little later in the game, in the first quarter, you had A.J. Epinesa able to go just right around Justin Q I I mean, no chance on the play and uh, get a sack himself, and again, FNS is somebody who stepped up at times for the shorthanded Bills defense. Uh, Pugh also had a false start in the second quarter. So, you know, just the kind of things you expect. He, he looked like a fresh-off-the-couch player in this game, but that's the best the Giants can do for now. Again, they weren't a good offensive line with healthy, and they are missing multiple players on that offensive line right now. So you get what you get. Uh, Akira Key again. You talked about how he tipped the, the Josh Allen pass, and again, Michael McFadden, the, the beneficiary again. So those two uh, combined for a couple of takeaways in this game. And again, those takeaways kept uh, the Giants ahead in this game. Okirake also had double-digit tackles in addition to having an impact on those two takeaways. So, uh, like you said, best game of the year for Okirake was all over the place. He's in the backfield a lot to help uh, support against the run. He, he just did a lot of good things to this game. Um, I won't get too much into what happened before halftime. All I can say about that is, for me, I also blame the coach. And it's not necessarily the head coach. It's whoever called an option for their to be a run. Just like I said earlier in the game, uh, in the uh, Titans game against the Ravens, I'm not going to have a punt returner back there because I'm going to prevent him from doing something stupid. This is the same thing here. Why is there even a run option to check to? That's on the coach. It's on the quarterback, too, to to, to call that, knowing that if we don't make it and we have not run the ball well all season, then we go to the half with no points here. But as the offensive coordinator or whoever's making the play call, you also know you haven't run the ball well all year. So why would you even say the second play is a run? So I will blame him just as much as I blame Terad Taylor because that choice should have never been on the table. If you give somebody an option to do something stupid, they just might do it. So don't give them that option. Getting into the second half of this game, again, the the Giants did everything they could defensively. I thought, you know, at some point they started to wear down just a little bit. It's tough. It's tough. It's it's easier to shut out a team or slow a team down holding the three points if your team is putting up 24 or 30 points. But when you know you've got to make a stop every single drive, it just gets harder and harder. So when you watch, like, the Deontay Harty touchdown, it was just too easy. It was just a simple swing pass and nobody's out there. So, but as a play, again, like, the defense had so much on their shoulders in this game, it's not a surprise to see them give up an easy touchdown at some point. right, uh, you're talking about the Quentin Morris play. Uh, <laughs> that is the last person in the National Football League I would have picked to make a go-ahead touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. That's the last person. That was the first target of the season for Quentin Morris. So, if you've never heard of this guy before, I can't blame him. He's definitely, he's not on his own fantasy team. So, it's just shocking to see that that's where you went in that moment. But I'll give Josh Allen credit. In a game where he locked on to Stephon Diggs a lot, you talked about it. Uh, Diggs had 16 targets on 30 Josh Allen passes. So, the majority of the passes went to one person. To look for Morris in that situation with the game one line on a play where Morris was not open. You're talking about the defender not looking, but Morris, it's not like he was sitting there wide open by himself. That I would give Josh Allen credit for, for coming off of whoever the primary read was there, probably Diggs, and saying, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a chance, a guy who I've literally not given a chance all season. On the other hand, you talked about the, the, the one where Allen short-armed the throw to to Dawson Knox, I am going to call it just a complete miss. It, it is what it is. It's, it's just a miss. Just a miss. It happens. But uh, that that's a wide-open throw. It's a throw you got to make. And he did absolutely miss that throw to give a little more life to the Giants. Uh, as for the, the play at the end of the game where uh, Teron Johnson clearly held Darren Waller, I'm, I'm with you, Patrick. I think that 100% of the reason why that penalty wasn't called was because the penalty was called the play before. And the refs don't want to be responsible for deciding the game. But by not making the call, you're responsible for deciding the game. Uh, They just don't see it that way. But uh, I don't even mind a little tug, a little pull at the end of the game. You get away with that. That happens almost every play. Um, But when it's a situation where the defender is literally holding from the time the ball is snapped, through the time that the play is over, you kind of have to call that. I don't care how many times you called it before. So that, that was annoying to see as a football fan who, you know, didn't have, you know, a horse in the race. You don't like to see that. You don't like to see a game end like that. As a Raiders fan, I've certainly seen too many games end like that for my team. So I would have been frustrated. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, with the missed opportunities at the goal line, you do look at those and say, you know what? If we could have taken this game out of the referee's hands if we just handled our business and scored touchdowns instead of either kick field goals or let the clock expire. So, there's that as well. Uh, The last note I'll say about this game is Damian Harris, of course, he was taken off the field via ambulance. You don't see ambulances come onto the field all that often in this era. So, you get concerned when you do see that. And, you know, all I can say is, you know, everything sounds positive so far. And, of course, it's an extra sensitive image seeing that happen to the Buffalo Bills on a primetime night game. So... Uh, hopefully, Damien Damian Harris is all right, relatively speaking, that he's going to be okay moving forward. Just wanted to make sure I got that out there. Uh, moving forward to next week, uh, the Giants host the Commanders. That's a game that they can win. If this all—if this defense shows up against the Commanders, they can win that game because we've talked about the Commanders and their inability to protect Sam Howell and how Sam Howell can get a little reckless at times when he's not being protected. As for Buffalo, again, they go to New England. Uh... I'm sorry, and I know that we just had a week where if we had upsets, but Buffalo should be able to dismantle New England, I think, pretty easily. <sighs> Monday night football. Monday night football. The Dallas Cowboys have a home game at SoFi Stadium against the Los Angeles Chargers, and they are able to win 20-17. to Now, the first possession of this game, Lil Mac shut it down with a set because, of course, uh, every week, I, I wish we had Khalil back. And I know he's not the player he once was, but I would still take him on, on my team over every defensive player on that line except, obviously, Max Cross. But I like seeing Khalil Mack produce. On this play, he just ran right through Tyron Smith. There was nothing fancy. It was just, I'm backing you up into your quarterback and I'm taking you both down. So, a promising start for the Chargers defensively. Uh, you know, Chargers get the ball, Josh Palmer scores a touchdown. That's wiped away by a penalty. Palmer had a couple of catches in this game, wiped away by penalties. But uh, in this case, it didn't hurt the Chargers because they were able to get the touchdown back. It's an easy, wide-open, short pass to Keenan Allen for a touchdown, poorly defended. Uh, So the Chargers, they got off to the kind of start that they wanted to get off to. And quite frankly, the the Chargers got off to the start I expected them to get off to. I I thought the Chargers, coming off a bye, would have a good chance at winning this game, especially with Austin Eckler returning to the lineup. But... Uh, the Cowboys were able to get going, starting that second possession. They started getting CeeDee Lamb involved. And, and with CeeDee Lamb, you know, I, don't, I don't want to keep having this discussion about whether or not he's a wide receiver one. He is. Like, let's stop having that discussion. I understand that he's not on the level of the best in the league. He's not a Justin Jefferson, or not a Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, those guys. He's not on that level. But he's he's a top 10, top 12 receiver in the league at worst. And In a league with 32 teams, that means you're a wide receiver one, and there's no question about it. So let's not have that discussion anymore. Uh, Dak Prescott had an 18-yard touchdown run to get the Cowboys on the board. Of course, that happened on fourth and one because it has to. But uh, I did like Dak Prescott's movement in this game, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if getting embarrassed by the 49ers kind of inspired him a bit. I don't know what it was, but this was the most mobile And the most decisive I saw Prescott look in a while. And when I say decisive, not just throwing the football, but deciding when to run, when to get out of the pocket, when to throw the ball, all of those things. He was just more decisive as a whole. So I want to see more of this Dak Prescott and not the one who's more deliberate and slow to to make a decision. Uh, Dallas, of course, went for another fourth and one in the red zone late in the half. They tried a quarterback sneak, came up short. Again, just kind of playing with fire, going with too many fourth and ones there. Uh, Despite themselves, they still took a 10-7 lead in the half. They did manage to get a a field goal at the end of the half. Uh, And, of course, not to be outdone, because if Mike McCarthy does it, then certainly Brandon Staley has to do it. So in the third quarter, the Chargers decide uh, they're going to go for fourth and inches from the Dallas 10-yard line instead of kicking a game-time field goal. And Herbert throws a pass into the end zone that's nearly intercepted by Daron Bland, but it's a fourth down failure. So missed opportunity for points there as well. Uh, This game was not nearly the high scoring game I expected, but in the fourth quarter you did get a breakaway play from Tony Pollard. He finally broke through and had a big play on a catch and run. He was able to get out of a Michael Davis tackle attempt. I thought he was going to score. Asante Samuel Jr. was able to chase him down, but. The Cowboys still got a touchdown on that possession. Dak Prescott with the fadeaway, high arcing throw to Brandon Cooks for a touchdown. It's good to see Brandon Cooks finally get involved in this offense because for a while I'm wondering why they even bothered to acquire him. So uh, he got a couple of looks in this game. That was good for him. Uh, The Cowboys' defense had a chance to put this game away. Deron Bland dropped a potential interception, maybe even a potential touchdown midway through the fourth quarter if he holds on to that ball. Uh, the Cowboys probably win right there. But uh, he drops it, and the game remains interesting. Uh, finally, the, the Chargers are able to score the game-time touchdown. Uh, it was a weird situation on a punt. The punt hits the ground. It bounces high in the air. It didn't hit the returner, but if you weren't looking at the returner, you didn't know. So Jalen Tolbert goes to recover what he thought was a muff, and he just barely, just barely touches the ball before a Chargers player does. Chargers recover, so that's a gift possession. Uh, That sets up an opportunity for the Chargers to tie the game up. But, uh, you know, you need that kind of break every now and then If the Chargers, I guess, because this offense still doesn't look quite like what you thought it was going to look like under Kellen Moore. At times it does, but at times, (coughs) like on Monday, it doesn't. Uh, Stephon Gilmore also got called for a pass interference, so on top of a a buff punt, you get the pass interference call to get the ball right on the goal line and tie the game up. Uh, Justin Herbert in this game, just this is an observation. He missed Keenan Allen a couple times, especially in crucial situations. He just missed wide open Keenan Allen down the field. And, you know, we know he has a broken finger on his non-throwing hand, but a couple of his passes throughout the game look like he had a broken finger on his throwing hand. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but we saw Herbert miss and sail a lot of throws in this game, uh, which – you normally don't see from him. Uh, yeah, the Cowboys, they were able to overcome a sack on their last possession, the possession that started with the sack. But they were able to overcome that, getting field goal range. Prescott did a nice job getting him down the field, but uh, did miss a potential touchdown pass to Tony Pollard, so they got to settle for a field goal. So now the stage is set for Herbert and the Chargers to make that drive and have that signature moment. It doesn't happen. Uh, you see Micah Parsons finally get in and have a big-time hit on a sack. And then um, you see a desperation interception thrown Mr. Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore, who had been criticized by some Cowboys fans throughout the game, uh, came up with the game-clinching interception. So that was kind of ironic in its own way. Uh, this game was sloppy. A lot of missed opportunities both ways. Uh, 20 combined penalties in this game. For a while, it seemed like there was a flag on every single play. So that slowed the game down and made it look sloppier. But the Cowboys come away with the win. Again, I don't like quarterbacks leading the team in rushing. Dak Prescott led the team with 40 rushing yards. That's never a good sign. They get away with it because of missed opportunities from the Chargers. But, again, it's not a formula for success. Uh, again, Cowboys will take the win. Uh, but that's not something you want to see continue to happen. But, again, going into a bye, you will take that win. Uh, Michael Gallup, I don't know why he led the team in 10, with 10 targets. He had a couple of chances to catch what would have been tough touchdown catches, but he could have caught them and didn't. Uh, 24 yards on 10 targets, 2.4 yards a target. You don't like seeing that at all. On the plus side for Dallas, Marquise Bell, who I've mentioned before in the season, he filled in nicely in this game for Leighton Van Der Esch, so he yeah, had number 14 in that defense. That's the guy to look, look for. Uh, he could have had a sack in this game. He didn't officially record one, but uh, he had a sack that got nullified by a penalty. Again, shocking. It was a penalty every play, but good game for him. On the Chargers side, Austin Eckler, again, he returned in this game. He had one long catch and run early in the game. But other than that, he was pretty quiet. And I didn't expect him to be shut down the way he was. So give the Cowboys credit there. But Eckler didn't have the impact you expect him to. And uh, speaking of not having the impact, I thought, Quentin Johnston, this is your rookie first-round pick. You're coming out of a bye week. Your boss, Mike Williams, for the year. I thought this would be the game where you would start implementing him in the offense more. He got two targets, no catches. So, uh, while other wide receivers drafted high are having impacts on their team, Quentin Johnson, even with the Chargers missing Mike Williams, he continues to not have any involvement, and that was something that was disappointing for me to see. So uh, you're going to have to get him involved at some point. No time like getting him involved against Kansas City. Again, that defense is stepping up, so you're going to have to do things on offense that you're not usually doing, and maybe that means getting him going, but I doubt. That's the week that you finally see Quentin Johnston finally have a role in this offense.
1: <clears throat> so, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time for my weekly <laughs> Fire Brandon Staley segment. So, Julius, we'll just lead off with what you just said. I know the head coach doesn't make all the decisions in the draft room, but they are a big voice in the draft room. So, why did the Chargers take Quentin Johnston with their first pick? You and I both didn't know that. You know, this defense had lots of holes on it. Uh, You could use it on anything other than wide receiver. Um, And then when Mike Williams gets hurt, you don't even use him. So I'm still confused by why this was their first pick in the draft. Uh, For everyone who says Justin Herbert deserves all the money and all this stuff, why does Justin Herbert get a pass for everything? Yeah, he hit Gerald Everett for a quote-unquote big fourth-down touchdown. You know who he could have hit on the very play before that where it could have been a third-down touchdown? Austin Eckler. You know who it took him 37,000 seconds to throw to and just stare at him while he's wide open in the flat? Austin Eckler. Um, So, yes, his accuracy was a problem, Julius. I know he has that broken finger. We've talked about that. But he also, if we're talking about reading defenses, I don't know what he was doing when Austin, Austin Eckler was in the flat, wide open, and for his lack of timing... He let the safety come over and make a play. That should have been a walk-in touchdown for Eckler. Um, And then, like we talked about, all the missed passes to Keenan Allen. uh, Keenan Allen had whoever was on him in a blender all night. And for people who thought Keenan Allen was going to be washed and this is why they drafted Quentin Johnson to get rid of him, Keenan Allen's been their best player all season. Uh, Eckler obviously got hurt, but Keenan Allen's been their best player all season. And he's been making cornerbacks look silly all season, did the same thing in this game, and just did not get accurate passes, um, which is wild to say because he caught seven of his 11 targets, but still. It, that's just, it's just wild. Um, so, uh, the fourth down attempts, is dumb. Um, obviously, the one to, you, know, you have to go for, but all the other ones that Bran Sally takes are dumb him and Mike McCarthy were trying to outdumb each other in this game. Just stupid coaching decisions everywhere you look. Um I, I just again, Herbert 22 for 37. Everyone's you know, again, Joyce, we talk about this every week. And I just don't again, Herbert has the physical abilities. No one's saying that he doesn't. But we've seen guys with physical abilities that just I'm not and I don't want I don't want to say this because he's not a bad quarterback. I'm not sitting here saying he's a he's a Daniel Jones or he, you know, he's a guard to Minshew. He's not. But to be the second, to be at one point in time before Burrow, the highest paid quarterback in the league, and then now the second highest paid quarterback in the league, and to, to, to miss your guys this wide open and to miss and miss throws and to miss that Eckler touchdown to, to where it got stopped, where you had to go for it on fourth down. And he held the ball long on the Gerald Everett touchdown too. Um, yep, yep. I, it just... And for the playoff collapse last year, I just don't understand why he gets a pass. And when, you know, they had their coach before Brandon Staley, I talk about Anthony Lynn all the time, it was his fault that Herbert wasn't excelling, and it's his fault the Chargers were not doing what they need to do. So why is Staley also getting a pass? You know, the Chargers team is underperforming. I don't care what you say. I know they're 2-3. They've escaped. Their wins have been escape wins. They barely beat the Vikings. Uh, which also Staley's terrible coaching should have cost him that game if Kirk Cousins doesn't throw the pick, trying to force it into Hawkinson. Um, yep. You know the Chargers, the Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose in the division, right? We all know that. We know Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose in the division. He wins almost all the games, especially at home. In a in a season where the the Chiefs' offense isn't being the Chiefs, you would think the Chargers might have a shot going into Arrowhead next week. And just the way the Chargers have looked and the coaching that Staley has done, I feel like there's no chance they win that game. I'm not saying there's no chance because they could easily win the game, but the way they've been looking this year, I just don't see it, man. Again, I feel like they've underperformed in every game they've played in. You know? They almost beat the Dolphins week one. Um, again, bad coaching. Then they lose to the Titans, barely beat the Vikings, barely beat the Raiders. And then they lose to the Cowboys. And this team could easily, you know, be 0-5 right now. But, again, you know, I don't know. I don't know why you draft Quentin Johnson. Then also in the fourth round take Darius Davis, and you guys are playing none of them. I don't know if you just wanted to take TCU guys, because then you also selected Duggan in the seventh round. I just don't, I don't know what was going on with their draft. Um, again, Brandon Staley sucks. He should be fired. Um I don't see him doing it. Maybe that's why Kellen Moore went here, though. Maybe he was like, I'm not getting the Dallas head coaching job. Maybe I'll sneak into the Chargers head coaching jobs. And Maybe that's why he's kind of throwing the offense right now, and he's all pick it up once they get rid of Staley. Who knows? Um, I don't know how Staley still has a job. But anyway, Chargers should be a much better team than what they are, and, and they're not. Simple as that. Uh, Shout-out to Brandon Aubrey uh, on the Dallas sideline. I just want to remember every Cowboys fan who said cut this man after he missed the first extra point of the season not realizing he's a rookie kicker hasn't kicked in the NFL before hadn't kicked since college I know he was in the USFL this dude has done nothing but make every field goal and every extra point since then he's 16 for 16 on the year for field goals um, and like I said has made every extra point since then so And he's got a lot of work because the Dallas uh, offense in the red zone has been pitiful. Uh, Thank you, Mike McCarthy. But, yeah, uh, again, you know, Jalen Tolbert um, had that fumble on the punt. They tried to do everything to let the Chargers get back in and win this game. Uh, They didn't. The touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks was a beautiful one. Uh, Cowboys fans still complain about Dak Prescott after this game, even though he did, along with the defense, uh, he did everything he could to win this game. And, And he made good plays. Um, he probably would have had a perfect game if he didn't throw it to Michael Gallup. Uh, to, uh his, he made great passes in this game. Good decisions. Um again, this was a sloppy game. We've talked about it. Uh you talked about all the penalties. Uh but yeah, I, I you know, McCarthy, I don't know how he still has a head coaching job. He's riding that one Super Bowl with Green Bay until he retires and uh and Staley, you know, it was a fun experiment, but the defensive guy and his defense, you know, not in this game, but definitely back to the playoffs, and then just all his head coaching mistakes and blunders that he makes on a weekly basis. Uh, again, I have to imagine if he was a different looking head coach, he would have been fired by now. All right, let's quickly get into what's happening around the sports world. As you guys know, and as we talked about, the MLB playoffs is in full swing. Um, since the last time we talked, the Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers. The Phillies beat the Braves three-one. Orioles got swept by the Rangers, and the Astros won their series three-one against the Twins. Um, you know, for everyone who thinks that you know the wild card game, you know, moving to a series and and the, the guys getting time off isn't that big of a deal, uh, I have to disagree. I feel like five days off between playing baseball is a much bigger deal than football or even basketball. Um, You can't simulate pitching for in-game pitching. You can't simulate these guys being in a routine, and five days off for a baseball player is actually a lot of time. Uh, That's why you normally don't see guys coming off the I.L. in baseball and, and dominating right away. It takes time for them to get into the groove and kind of pick back up on pitches and stuff like that. I think it's a bigger deal than what people are making it. I'm not saying that's what cost these guys their series. I don't want to say that. But for the Braves, for example, the Dodgers' starting pitching was terrible. So I can see why they lost. But also, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went 1 for 24 in the series. And the one hit was an infield hit that Mookie Betts laid out. So, like, two of the best hitters all season for that team went 1 for 24. Um, I feel like that speaks volumes. Same with the Braves and their offense. Their offense was the best offense in the entire Major League Baseball this year, and then their guys fell apart. Um, And they only won game two because Bryce Harper, again, we don't know what would have happened, but Bryce Harper overran a deep shot that Michael Harris made a great play on. So um, besides that, the Braves' bats did almost nothing in theirs. And then same with the Orioles. They got swept by the Rangers and – they just looked young and inexperienced. But uh, I think it's a bigger deal than people downplaying it. I'm not saying it's the only reason why the series went the ways they went. Because, um, again, you had the Astros. But did anyone think the Twins were really that serious of a threat? I didn't. Uh, anyone coming out of the AL Central for years now has always been not would have made the playoffs there in any other division. Um, but uh, again, you know, Astros have also been there for seven straight years to the ALCS, so I feel like they knew what they were doing regardless. Um, but anyway, moving into the LCSs, um, again, if you all listen to the podcast at the beginning of the MLB playoffs, I said I had the Rangers go into the World Series. Uh, right now they're up 2-0 on Houston, and they're going uh, back home to for a potential sweep closeout. Obviously, they got to get through Game 3 um, Wednesday night. But uh, they start the series too. You can't start a series any way better, Julius. You can't start, you know, against the defending champs and, and against, uh, you know, ALCS, you know, been there seven times in a row. You know, you can't start, ask for a better start. And uh, Bruce Bochy is the first manager to take three different teams to an LCS, and he'd be the first to win three LCSs with three different organizations. So underrated manager right there for sure, and that was one of the reasons why I picked them to go far, in this playoff run, because, um, he's just experienced, and what he did with the Giants when he was there was, was amazing, um, the Diamondbacks put up a, put up a fight game one, uh, got completely blown out tonight in game two, it ended up being 10 nothing. uh, <clears throat> you hope that their run doesn't come to an end, but the Phillies just look hot, the Phillies did this last year, went into the playoffs hot, and ended up making the World Series, um, It looks like they're headed there again. Uh, Bryce Harper, I know people are going to hear this, especially Nats fans, since we're in the area. Uh, Bryce Harper is one of the greatest playoff players of all time. Um, His stats are up there with only Babe Ruth. Uh, His OPS, his batting average, his home runs, everything is like top three of all time in the playoffs. Um, You know, in sports, we've we've come to love Julius. That if you don't have a championship, you're not a great. Uh, that's ridiculous, especially in a sport like baseball or football, where you're so dependent on so many other things. That in baseball, you can hit a hundred in a series doesn't mean that your team's going to win. You could get a hit every time you're up at the plate doesn't mean your team's going to win. You have to worry about how your pitcher pitches, how all your pitchers pitch. But like, there's so many variables. So. Um, the fact that Bryce Harper, for the amount of games he's played in the playoffs and, and what his stats are, uh, it's, it's amazing to see what he can do. Uh, and then the rest of that Phillies team, like I said, have been hot. you got Trey Turner. Uh, Schwarber has hit a couple of home runs. He had two home runs tonight. Cassidy as we saw uh, in the division series, and his hot hitting has continued into the championship series. Uh, the Phillies are just a hot team. Uh, you hope the Diamondbacks can pull at least one game out at home. If not two, um, but uh, you know what a run for the D-backs. they are definitely ahead of schedule. And if they can get some pitching, uh, starting pitching as well, they're, thats going to be a dangerous team for years to come. Hopefully, um, and then like I said, you go over to the Rangers—they start off two and zero. You know, they're they're two picking it p- pitcher acquisitions with Montgomery and Iovaldi. Iovaldi's uh, looking like he did with the Rangers when I mean with the Red Sox when they made their run. And the bats for the Rangers have been on fire, uh, especially Corey Seager um, and Evan Carter. Don't want to forget him. But uh, we'll see what happens. Again, they're going back to to Texas. Texas gets three games at home. So if they win game three, they have a chance to sweep. If they lose game three, they still have two chances to to win and close out at home to, to go to the World Series. So interesting to see what happens. Again, I, I, I did not want the Orioles to see the Rangers. I, again, when we were talking about this before the playoffs, sorry, I had the Rangers going to the World Series anyway, Julius, so uh, they're making me look smart right now. I unfortunately said the Braves were going to make it, but I also said if they meet the Phillies, that's going to be a tough series, and it was. So uh, the Phillies are hot, um, and then it looks like Arizona has, has kind of made it as far as they can go, but again, You know, they're going home, and we'll see what happens uh, on Thursday in that series.
0: Uh, Yeah, that was a pretty uh, comprehensive review there of the Major League Baseball playoffs. I will say this. I am on the other side of the bye week being a reason that teams lose in the postseason. I, I am one to downplay it, and when I look at it this year, I didn't see anything surprising from the teams that were on bye weeks. When you look at the Orioles, you're talking about a young team that only had one good, consistent pitcher all year, and that was Kyle Bradish, and Bradish was pretty decent in his start. Is it a surprise that Grayson Rodriguez, a rookie, gets blown up in a game when he's been inconsistent all year, as a rookie can be? No, that's not a surprise. Is, Is it a surprise that the rest of the rotation got beat around in that series? No. Is it a surprise that a bullpen that's missing by far its best pitcher in Felix Bautista struggle? No, none of that is a surprise. So I, I can't blame the bye week because, or the bye days, because the bye wouldn't have fixed Felix Bautista getting back. The bye doesn't change the fact that the Orioles didn't have a good rotation all year long. The bye didn't change the fact that you weren't able to put John Means in, in your rotation for the series. None of that is affected by the bye. So, I don't look at the Orioles and say that's why they lost. When I look look at the Dodgers, same thing. Like, the biggest issue for the Dodgers was the pitching. And I talked about that going into the series. You don't have Walker Bueller. You haven't had him all year because of injury. You don't have Dustin May. You haven't basically had him all year because of injury. You don't have Julio Urias. He did it to himself, but you don't have him. These are three guys that, you know, perfect world, you would have all three of them pitching. So now instead of those guys, you have to count on somebody like Lance Lynn to try to save your season. And oh by the way, Lance Lynn gave up 50 home runs in the regular season. So why are we surprised? We can't say or oh, the buys why, why Lance Lynn gave up home runs, but he does now. And so that that's just not it's not a surprise to me how the Dodgers pitching performed, and that put them in a bad situation to, to to lose that game. Clayton Kershaw gave up a bunch of runs, I think six runs in one inning, or a third of an inning. Have we not seen Clayton Kershaw fail in the postseason before? So, like, like none of it's a surprise. And then moving to the Braves, two things. One, Philadelphia beat Atlanta in the playoffs last year. So, <laughs> buy or not, the Phillies are not scared of the Braves. Two, we've seen the Phillies' pitchers, specifically Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, we've seen them do well in the postseason before. So, again, none of these series were uncharacteristic. The one team that had to buy and then won was the Houston Astros, who have won in the postseason time and time again. So, you can manage the postseason and manage that bye if you know how to win in the playoffs. The teams that lost with a buy generally don't know how to win in the postseason. That's what it comes down to for me. Now, getting to the championship series, my Diamondbacks are in there. And, and quite frankly, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm watching during this podcast, my Diamondbacks get blown out tonight. And it basically was the same script from game one for the most part, at least for how it started. Game one, Zach Gallen gives up a lot of solo home runs, and you fall behind early. You're trying to play catch-up. Uh, this game, it was Merrill Kelly's turn. He gave up a lot of solo home runs early in the game. You fall behind. Team hasn't to tried to play catch-up. In the first game, uh, the Diamondbacks were able to play catch-up to some degree and make it competitive. This game, the Diamondbacks weren't able to do that. But uh, for me... You know, this season is a success, and Patrick talked about it with the Orioles a bit. You can't lose perspective just because you get beat down in the playoffs right now. Uh, Arizona, considering not just where they were to start the season, but where they were in August when they were struggling to win games, I'm proud of where they are right now. So even if this continues this way, I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies, like you said, they're hot. Bryce Harper's a playoff performer. Kyle Schroer is a playoff performer. He's the third player in history to have 10 home runs in the championship league series. So, the league championship series, so so you got to give him his credit as well. You know, this this happens. and The Diamondbacks is, is going to be a learning experience one way or another. Uh, Diamondbacks are sending Brandon Fott out for game three, so I'm, I'm kind of chalking that up as another loss in my mind because I don't see him being the guy who stops this Phillies offense. Um, but, you know, it's a successful season to get here, to make the playoffs was a successful season, to get to the National League Championship Series, that's, more than I could have ever imagine this year. So no issues at all if this is where the road ends for the Diamondbacks. Uh, as for Patrick's Texas Rangers, they're, they're just hot right now. And you look at game one, you had a great pitching matchup between Justin Verlander and Jordan Montgomery. We know Verlander has a long history of doing well in the postseason. Jordan Montgomery was able to outdo him. So you got to give Montgomery credit for the way he pitched in that game. Uh, brilliant, uh, as Patrick's alluded to, a brilliant mid-season acquisition. The the Rangers traded for the right Cardinals pitcher, unlike some other playoff team that traded for the wrong Cardinals pitcher. And so that comes up big in game one. Uh, game two, the Astros throw Frambois Valdez out there. Valdez has a history of success in the postseason, and the Rangers were able to tag him. So that was an uncharacteristic start for Valdez. But again, that's hot Ranger lineup. Hot Ranger hitting more so to me than it was Valdez underperforming. But sometimes you just got to give the hitters their credit. And uh, So, you, you know, you mentioned some names like Corey Seager or Evan Carter. And that. These guys are coming up big. And they've got power throughout the lineup. They've got guys who can hit for average throughout the lineup. So uh, this Texas offense is dangerous. And, you know, the concern I have for Texas was their bullpen. This has been unsettled for most of the season. Uh, we've seen Will Smith be the closer for a while and start to struggle. We know Aroldis Chapman, when he comes in, every pitch is at best a 50-50 chance of being a strike, a 50-50 chance of being a ball. You just never know what you're going to get out of him. So my concern was the bullpen uh, for this team. But Jose Leclerc, I got to give him credit. He's come through, and he's stabilized the bullpen in the postseason. He has been lights out in that closed remote for them, and they needed that. Uh, LeClerc has not been the closer for the majority of the season, even though he started off as the closer because of his struggles or inconsistencies at one point. But he's straightened it up. He's made a big difference. And now, you know, in the postseason, it's it's about shortening games. You know, a team like the Kansas City Royals years ago with an undermanned team was able to win the World Series because basically their last three guys out of the bullpen made it a six-inning game every time they came out there. If they were up after six innings, they were going to win. That matters a lot in the postseason. And so when you have a guy pitching at the level the clerk is pitching at right now, the Rangers understand if we're winning after eight innings, we're going to win. Maybe even if we're winning after seven and a third or seven and two-thirds innings because we can count on him to close out the eighth inning and finish finish it off in the ninth. So uh, that's a big deal for them. That's helping their confidence. And Patrick's prediction for the Rangers getting to the World Series looks good through two games. And... And the Rangers are hot. The Astros are a team that you can't count out because, again, they've got long a long resume that says don't count them out here. But uh, they're they're in a little trouble. <laughs> they have to acknowledge that. So uh, Philadelphia and Texas, they have to like where they are right now. Houston and Arizona, a lot of work to do. Getting quickly into the college football. We know we're getting long into it. So I'm going to breeze through these. Uh, Oregon and Washington, the 7-8 matchup going into the weekend. That game lived up to the hype. A competitive back-and-forth game. Both quarterbacks look good in the game, both high-profile quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, so give them credit. Uh, Oregon did pass up on a short field goal at the end of the first half, so I look at that more than I look at the missed field goal at the end of the game. That missed, that lack of a field goal at the end of the first half, and they didn't convert. Uh, to me, that cost them, and that came back to haunt them at the end. But this was a great game. Glad to see it live up to the hype. Uh, we had Stanford and Colorado. Uh, double overtime loss for Colorado. Uh, Stanford with the win, 46-43. Uh, obviously, Colorado had a 29-0 lead at halftime, and then they just they just turned off the competitive juices. Stanford didn't give up. Nobody's going to give up against Colorado because they know the spotlight's there. Colorado needs to understand that and give credit to Elec Iomaner, who put his name on the map with a 294-yard three-touchdown performance, basically doing all of that after halftime. So uh, credit to Stanford, Colorado. Tough lesson there, and their schedule gets no easier from here. Uh, we had Miami against uh, North Carolina. North Carolina wins that game, 41-31. This, this game was about Devontae Walker, uh, transfer from Kent State, who just became eligible a week ago. Not sure why. NCAA needs to clean that up. But uh, he catches three touchdowns in this game, and it's just another weapon for Drake May to work with. So North Carolina continues to get more and more dangerous as the season goes on, as much as I don't like to say it. Uh, Louisville, fresh off of beating Notre Dame, fresh off of moving way up in the rankings. They have a letdown performance against Pittsburgh. Uh, Close game into the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh pulls away late, got an interception for a touchdown late. Uh, Pittsburgh outscored Louisville 24-0 in the second half, so Louisville just as bad of a collapse as Colorado had there. Hard lesson for them, too. And lastly, Duke, without Riley Leonard, able to beat NC State 24-3. I'm just going to talk about the fact that Duke plays Florida State next week. That's a game to keep an eye on. i could not going to even talk about my team this week.
1: <clears throat> yeah, top three teams handled business as we thought they would. Um, top four teams, actually. Uh, Penn State had Massachusetts, which we already talked about. Don't care. <coughs> <coughs> the main game I was looking forward to was Oregon-Washington, and it lived, like you said, lived up to the height. Uh, back and forth for Pennix and Knicks. Um I don't I'm not a fan of the Washington fans storming the field when you were the higher ranked seed and you beat the team below you. I mean I get it was a big win. Uh just interesting. Interesting win. An interesting storm fielding there. Um but yeah, big win for Washington, man. And then I like the fact that Oregon didn't move that far down the rankings since it was on a blown field goal to tie the game at the end there. I, I like that the committee or whoever was doing the rankings was like Okay, like they're still a good team. Like I, I do enjoy seeing that. Um, USC finally pulled out the USC game I was waiting for. Uh, we this happened. I talked about it last week, Julius, and um, and and Notre Dame has blown two games this year, and they completely mollywopped USC. This game was never close. Caleb Williams threw three picks. Uh, he looked terrible in this game, but. Oh, we talked about, and I talked about, how I'm worried about their defense. And when they get into some of their better games that they need to play, what is that defense going to do? And in this game, the offense wasn't good, the defense wasn't good. Uh, there was a 99-yard uh, kickoff return. Um, I mean, all facets of the game with USC were bad. Um, and to lose another game, I think they're going to have three or four losses on the season. Um, not going to hurt Caleb Williams' draft status, but... Um, Maybe it does. We've, we've seen more surprising things like, you know, uh, Mitchell Trubisky getting drafted over Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. So, I don't know. Maybe some, something crazy could happen. But um, Notre Dame beat USC, and it was not a good week for Pac-12 teams because uh, Washington State, after being ranked in the top ten two weeks ago, has lost two games in a row. They lost to Arizona. Then they got beat by Arizona 44-6. Uh, to This kind of wheels have just kind of fallen off for Washington State. Um... And After Kentucky got ranked, they've lost Missouri, surprising six and one. Also, don't know how they're not ranked yet. That's going to change this week because they're two and one in the SEC. But you don't know see an SEC team be six and one and not uh, be in the top twenty-five. But they just beat Kentucky, and again with Kentucky losing, Kansas losing, uh, Washington State losing, uh, you're going to have a lot of changes in the rankings and. um... You know, I think I think uh, Missouri's gonna sneak their way up there. Louisville may or may not fall out. Miami's gonna fall out. Uh, so some interesting rankings are gonna be coming up. Um, but and again, Missouri with a surprising six and one uh, to start this season. Uh, and I'm quickly gonna get into the WNBA because we talked about that and there in their finals, uh, the Liberty get uh, the W that they needed uh, going back home, uh, so they do force a game four, um, and. I think the biggest thing is Chelsea Gray gets hurt. Um, and that's going to be a big blow to the Aces. And And, the, and Liberty have a good enough team um, that that they could win the next two to win it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they got to get game four first, Julius. But uh, I think the Chelsea Gray injury to the Aces is, is a really big deal.
0: I agree with you 100%. Uh, we know that the Aces are a stack loaded team. They got a lot of mouths to feed that offense. Obviously, Asia Wilson leading the way. Uh, you got somebody like Kelsey Plum, who's a great scorer. Chelsea Gray is the one who kind of gets it to all kind of come together. Uh, she's the kind of the floor general for this team. She makes a lot smart decisions. She makes sure everybody stays involved and in an offense, again, where you've got a lot of talent to, to keep satisfied and get enough touches for everybody. And she can get hers as well. This is not a Rajan Rondo where, where she's getting everybody else involved, but she's only scoring six points. No. Uh, so, yeah, Chelsea Gray getting hurt. That, that's a huge deal in this series. Um, I'm just going to say this about the WNBA Finals. We've played three games so far. Two of them have been on Sunday afternoons during NFL season. What are we doing? What, what are we doing? Do you want people to not watch? You're making it hard to, to keep up with these games. Nobody even knows they're coming on at 3 in the afternoon on Sunday. I I, I don't know who's coming up with that, but that that just frustrates me for that bleed because you're trying to put yourself on the map. But you're airing your most important games at a time slot that minimizes your audience. Uh, One final note, uh, Tim Zhu, son of Costa Zhu, for for those who remember him boxing. Uh, Tim Zhu had a unanimous decision win on his home turf in Australia over Brian Mendoza. Uh, Zhu dominated the fight. I'll give credit to Mendoza because he got rocked a lot throughout the fight, but he never even came close to going down. Zu is a guy who has finished a lot of guys in the past with punches (laughs) that he landed, the same punches he landed on Mendoza. Mendoza didn't go anywhere, but uh, Mendoza just had no answer for Zu and his offense. After the fight, Zu did call out Jamel Charlo. Of course, we know Charlo is fresh off the loss to Canelo. Uh, From a weight class perspective, it makes Way more sense. And so I hope that Charlo responds. I would be interested in seeing a Jamel Charlo versus Tim Zou fight.
1: And that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. We always, as always, really appreciate y'all listening. Uh, We'll put up the podcast uh, and, you know, follow us at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast. Uh, That's Facebook, Instagram, X. Um, And again, we appreciate all our listeners out there. Thank you for listening. To the two guys, Four Balls Podcast.